All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. All sports, all the time. Heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Woodwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. The Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. That's good. Eddie Ortiz is going to be here momentarily. We promise you guys, you know how life gets every once in a while, man. There's unexpected turns, and in the, in, in the weather that we have here in Kansas City currently, you can't really blame the guy for trying to swim all the way across Kansas City to get here in the studio. But nevertheless, episode 120 is in full swing, full of motion. We are so glad and so happy to have you guys here. We are very honored and blessed to take some of your time this week, this weekend, whenever you are listening to this. This is what we do, and we're 120 episodes officially in. I'm so excited for this episode, man. We got a lot to get to tonight, guys. We have a very special guest that I'm going to introduce in just a second. But first and foremost, again, to the listening audience that have been hanging tough with us, man, there are some great things on the horizon for this show. We have a lot, a lot to get to tonight, so I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, but in the studio, actually, with us, our first actual in-studio guest that seems like damn near forever, man. I mean, we've had, I mean, we've had Darren, Darren Smith in studios. We've had Jay Binkley in studios. We've had everybody that you pretty every every single guy that we've had in this show, we've had in studio. But it's been at least a year since we've had somebody with us, and I'm so blessed and honored to have eight ten WHB Sports Radio's producer, Mr. Blake. Schneiders, take heed. The Schneid is here. We appreciate him being here tonight to break down some things in regards to UFC 263 that's coming up this weekend as we're recording this. But first and foremost, Blake, how the hell are you doing tonight, brother? What's going on, man? I am fucking stoked to be here. And I know I'm starting off heavy with your guys' listeners, but no, man, I, I appreciate you guys having me in, man. Yeah, it's a blast. We, I was, you know, you and I, we did a show last weekend uh, with Darren. We did the Darren Smith, the ship. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, you asked me to do a baseball show with you, and I was so excited to do that, man. And like we talked before the show, it was an hour long, but it felt like it was literally 44 seconds long. Oh, I mean, by. it flew by, man. So I was like, you know what? Let's get your ass in the studio as soon as possible as we've been talking about it, you know, to get some UFC talk. And we got a lot of UFC listeners, and I'm like, I know you have your own show, and I definitely want you to talk about that tonight, man. I want you to give us your thoughts on uh, UFC 263. But I want to start tonight's episode uh, with what everybody I know that's listening to this right now wants to talk about. It's Chiefs football. Now, we are a couple months away from things really starting to pop off, but there are things out there that we can discuss. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out there that could potentially divide some Chiefs fans. And it honestly has nothing to do with the team. It's a scenario that I decided to build this week on our social media platforms. So we all know what's going on with the Aaron Rodgers and, and Green Bay Packers situation and how this thing just 
it's pretty inevitable this is going to be a long, drug-out process, whether Aaron ultimately and inevitably ends up going back to Green Bay and making this right for at least one more year, or the Packers say, you know what, we're sick of this shit. We like what we're seeing out of Jordan Love in training camp. Aaron, you're gone. We are trading you somewhere else. No matter how – or maybe Aaron just straight up retires and tries to find another job. Maybe if it is, even if it is Jeopardy, which I don't really know to be sure because I think Aaron has a lot of football left in him. The point remains, though, is there is a – and it's even been admitted by uh, their their GM up there, Brian Gutekunst, and their president, I think it's Mark Murphy is his name. They've all come out and have, have stated some pretty damning statements when it comes to this situation. Un, by the way, unwarranted, I might add, because the fact that we heard this last, uh, uh, this last statement from uh, Packers Brass stating that there has now been a dividing line between Packers fans and Aaron Rodgers fans, essentially. And so that's caused a real rift in, albeit a small town up there, but they have a loyal fan base. And this is causing a legitimate problem, regardless of who we want to blame. We're not going to play the blame game here. But I, I created this scenario, and I want to get both of your guys' thoughts on this. I really, I, I, I brought that scenario, and I brought it here to Kansas City. And I thought to myself, if this exact same situation went down exactly as it's going on right now, but in this instance, it's Patrick Mahomes versus the Chiefs. It, I mean, I'm talking about exactly how it's played out. Whose side would you be on? And so I posted this on both Twitter and on Facebook. By the way, you can follow us at the Spoken Pod on Twitter and join us on our Facebook group on the Spoken. 84% of the, of the voters went with Patrick Mahomes. Now, you would say, well, of course. But what's funny is, is that I posted something very similar in regards to who they supported when it came to the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And a lot of the people went with the Packers. And I know, and and there's probably people screaming right now as they're listening to this, well, it would never happen. It's a different relationship with the Chiefs and Patrick Holmes. I know that's never going to happen. But if you went back 15, 16 years, I'm willing to bet Packers fans themselves would have never thought this would have happened, especially fresh off the Brett Favre saga that they had, where he would retire and unretire, retire and unretire. So I wanted to bring this home, and it was intentional because what I wanted to see was where Chiefs fans' loyalties lie. I'm not sitting here saying the people that took Pat, that would, would take in this scenario Patrick Mahomes' side aren't real Chiefs fans. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not even trying to divide people. My point is... These types of situations and scenarios are not only realistic and do happen all the time. It's going to happen in Seattle after this season. I guarantee Russell Wilson's going to get traded. Mm. It's going to happen. Aaron Rodgers won't be a Packer very much longer, whether he gets traded this offseason or he's gone after this season. The fact is, thing, move, things are movements happening. Okay. Now, I don't anticipate this happening in Kansas City, but the fact is, guys, this is the reality for a lot of fans out there. And you almost feel like you have to pick a side. And this is why my defense for Aaron Rodgers in this situation stands so strong. Because to the core of it, when it comes down to the real difference maker, we take the side of the difference maker as opposed to the the team that we love. Now, I'll respect any and everybody that decides, you know, I'll stick with the Chiefs. If if Patrick Mahomes pulled this shit, I would stick with the Chiefs. That's that's great. I'm not because I'm going to side with the player more times than not because I know what Patrick Mahomes brings to this franchise, just like I know what Aaron Rodgers brings to the franchise in, in Green Bay. And we all know what. why do you think the Packers are sticking so strong to their stance? It's not because they want control ultimately. It's because they know what they have in Aaron Rodgers. They were anticipating he was going to be done or at least on the decline, and it didn't happen. 
So I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. And I'll, I'll, Trevor, I'll start with you on this. Yeah. What, what, where would you stand on this if this was to happen in Kansas City? Whose side would you ultimately stand? I mean, stand context on? always matters, but if it's the exact same context between you know this Aaron Rodgers situation and and that Patrick Mahomes is at the point of his career where Aaron Rodgers is now, and he's the aged vet, the proven commodity, the human asset that he is. I mean, I, I almost always take the player side because they are the valuable asset. They are what puts asses in the seats. You know, you take Aaron Rodgers off the Packers, you take Patrick Mahomes off the Chiefs. That impacts negatively impacts the the franchise far more than it impacts their personal brands. Because Patrick Mahomes can go to the, any team he wants, and it automatically boosts whatever franchise you plug him into in a positive way. So, I mean, I typically always take the player side of this, and I I, I probably would take the player side of this. I mean, I'm heavily invested in Patrick Mahomes as a person, as a player, everything. So, I typically would take. But, I mean, with the Chiefs, I'm, it's not like I'm going to give up my fandom for the Chiefs, so the situation's different there. I'm not a Packers fan, so that situation is separate from me. I, I'm definitely on the Aaron Rodgers side of this because I think the Packers have been – they've lucked out with two great Hall of Fame quarterbacks. If they didn't have that, the Packers would be a shitty franchise. And I think we all know that because they've squandered. They should have multiple championships, more than two, between the two and a half decades they've had with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's absolutely embarrassing that they've squandered Aaron Rodgers' career without getting in weapons and, and you know suiting him up with – actual legitimate first-round talent offensive weapons, running whether it be running backs, wide receivers, you name it, offensive linemen, whatever. Um, and he's stuck it out with them. So, I mean, I'm definitely on the Aaron Rodgers side of things, but as far as the Chiefs, if that was the same situation in, in Chiefs' kingdom, I'm still going to be a Chiefs fan at the end of the day, and I'm still going to support Patrick Mahomes wherever he goes because he's going to have he's gonna be near and dear to my heart because at, at that point of his career, if he's at you know, year 12, 13, 14, you know, he's going to have a couple chips here in Kansas City, and I'm, I mean, I'm going to owe him everything to my fandom. So... This situation in Kansas City would be different for me because I'm invested in both sides, and I'm not going to let go of either side. Aaron Rodgers, I have no investment into the Packers. I love Aaron Rodgers as a player. I'm, he's been one of my favorite players since he's been on the gridiron. So with that, I, yeah, like I said, I, it, it, it's easy for me with the Aaron Rodgers thing. I think he needs to do whatever's best for him at this point of his career, whether he, if he wants to go somewhere else and succeed, which I fully believe he would, no matter where he went, whether it's Denver, whether it's wherever he decides to end up you know, landing. I know he doesn't really make that decision. It's going to be the Packers. But, yeah, that the situation flipping into Kansas City, it's easy for me. I mean, I'm going to be a Chiefs fan at the end of the day still, no matter what. And I would fully support Patrick Mahomes. But I don't even want to think about that kind of scenario happening. Yeah, I know I, you said you don't want to separate Chiefs fans. Bullshit. You're over here trying to cause division. I know your tactics. But, no, I mean, yeah. For, for me, the Packers situation is simple, man. The Packers are... The Packers are the luckiest screw-ups in the NFL in NFL history, in my mind. They're lucky they even got two championships out of these two great quarterbacks. I think the the whole Chiefs scenario, like if I had to put this into something that I could actually relate it to, because it's obviously a hypothetical. So if yeah. I had to use something that I could relate it to, to me, I would almost liken back to when Carl Peterson and Jared Allen were going head to head. Yeah. I was the am, am yeah. the biggest Jared Allen fan. No doubt. Uh, the guy was an absolute stud, ends up being one of the top DNs in the entire NFL. And Carl Peterson is so and this is something I think you see a lot with, and I think that the the you know the normies don't really understand about organizations is no owner or no GM thinks that or wants to think that the players have any kind of rule or say over what they do. Um, and that's ego. It's just ego. You know, you have ego across the board no matter what, whether you're a player, whether you're a GM, whether you're the owner. And I liken this back to the Carl Peterson situation because Carl Peterson didn't want to pay Jared Allen because he 
thought he wasn't going to be any good. Well, what did we see with that? <laughs> then Jared Allen gets let go, or doesn't get let go, but he he gets signed by the Vikings and then goes on to lead the NFL in sacks. He's number eight all-time in the all-time sack list, and that guy was a guy that the Chiefs decided not to sign. Mm-hmm. And he went on to have a stellar career and honestly a Hall of Fame career in my opinion. Yep. So when you look at what's going on in the Packers scenario, you're—I mean, you're 100 right. The the Packers have squandered multiple opportunities back to back. They had a prime candidate. They go to the NFC Championship game. They lose. They get the ball run down their freaking <clears throat> throats for about 189 yards, 187 yards. And the first thing you would think is, hey. They need a little help on the defensive side. They need probably a big-nosed, big-fat-ass defensive tackle. Somebody who can play some linebacker for them. Somebody to clog the run because that's obviously what their biggest weakness was. Then add some weapons around Then add some weapons around uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Well, instead, the, the, the organization said, you know what we really need to do? Get rid of that damn quarterback of ours who uh, is totally no good, definitely didn't win us a Super Bowl already. Yeah. Hasn't gone to multiple Pro Bowls. Yeah, that's why it's our first draft pick on a quarterback. On a quarterback who, <laughs> guess what, signing. Packers fans, you guys are sucking it now because – or not even the fans. This isn't the fans' fault. It's the organization's fault. They're sucking hind tit now because yeah. now there is no good reports on Jordan Love. They didn't even talk about the kid last year. They've been trying to spruce him up a little bit on the, on the video to. side of things. They're, you know there's a limited video access, exactly. so they're trying to get him on these little dinks and dunks. Exactly. And, it's yeah. almost like the opposite of what the Ravens were doing when they put that video out of Lamar Jackson throwing <laughs> dunks. It's like you didn't have any – Straight other- up. Quackers, Any dude. Just other straight good up passes to, throughout the whole practice. That was the one you chose. Like they're just they, they have basically pissed down the side of their leg and gone, hey, we. But I think the pride aspect yeah. now has made them say, we want to stick to this. We want to we want to stick our guns behind Jordan Love. Uh, yeah, we might bring in Blake Bortles though, and obviously he's been looking good in practice from what we've heard. So it's just so odd that that the guy who got you to where you be, the fact that you have any notoriety at all. You're trying to usher out. Why not? If, if I was you, you if I was the Packers, what you do is you ride Aaron Rodgers until you absolutely can't. It's almost like they're trying to jump the gun and guess when he's going to start declining. Hell, he's what, 37, 36? He'll be 38 in December. 38, okay. Tom Brady's what, 42? 43. 43. He'll be 44 next month. If he has proven anything in the age of health and wellness, in the age of just how much money you can spend to make your body last longer in the game. Tom Brady is a prime example. Well, Aaron Rodgers has had a career year last year, too. Let's not exactly. That. Yeah. And it would be it'd be something totally different if Aaron Rodgers the last two seasons lost them the game. Yeah. Through a late inning interception or late inning, late game interception, yeah. threw them a late, like just fumbled the ball. Something ridiculous. But no, how'd you guys lose last year? You decided to kick a field goal when you were down by two scores. Right. With a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, yeah. With a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like what the hell? Are, like <laughs> The, the Packers organization right now is, is I think, too caught up in their pride and their ego. And Aaron Rodgers is a man who is about his principles. And you both are you both are breaking down and actually making the point for me that I – the real intention of bringing all this stuff is is to show that what one man can do to change everything. I'm not even talking about these quarterbacks. I'm actually talking about an owner. You put Clark Hunt mm-hmm. in, in charge of the Packers, this, was, this situation isn't happening right now. Because what has Clark Hunt done since – 2013 or since 20 end of 2012 he went and got the head coach that he knew was going to take care of this thing for the next foreseeable future right for the foreseeable future I mean, it took him long enough but yes it did well here's the two two clark's defense yeah. 
He was a young owner that took over for his, his late father. For sure. So there were some growing pains there for sure because he had other business been ventures and things for like that. a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying he <laughs> had other had money. He was, a, he was a former soccer player. He was heavily involved in the MLS and had several, like, I think he was a part of Six Flags and all that other yeah. stuff. He was living in Dallas. Yeah. So there was some growing pains for Clark. Clark's only, I think, 53, 54 years old right yeah. now. Anyways, knows so when Andy Reid became available. It's my point, yeah, my point saying all that is, is that I think that because of the fact the Packers are now sitting here still without a true owner, these are the kinds of things you had to expect, the chaos. I don't think the Brett Favre debacle happens the way it did. I think that they're like, look, Brett, you're gone. There's no coming back. You're not going to sit here and try to you know fool us anymore. That those kinds of things aren't going to happen here in Kansas City, and that's. But at the same time, there is such an importance here of of, of thinking that the Chiefs can't ever think that they can, they're above something like this happening. The reason why I'm saying that is we've seen great franchises fall. Look at what look where the Patriots at right now. Everybody just thinks that the Patriots are just going to bounce back. They're not. They're not a franchise just going to bounce back. Especially because drafted Mac Jones. Yeah, of two decades of success, you think you're just going to replicate that within yourself? No, that doesn't happen. And so you have to you have to capitalize on when you got it. And what I mean by it, I mean a transcendent quarterback. And the Packers have not done that. The point is, is that the Chiefs are doing it now, but Patrick Mahomes has so much further to go. He has got... 12, 13, 14 seasons of football left in him at least. And the Chiefs now look like, oh, everything's going perfect. There's no mistakes being made. But you don't you gotta make sure you're you're maintaining the steps and the right procedures in order to never get to a place where the Packers are. Again, we've known the Packers. It's called Title Town up there for Christ's sake. They they that is a blue blood franchise. That doesn't just happen. You have to make some good decisions throughout the years. But as we're seeing a lot of these blue blood franchises, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Packers, they're all starting to do what? Descend. Why? Because they either don't know when to get out of a quarterback like the Steelers do with Ben Roethlisberger, or they don't know how to value a quarterback like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. The Chiefs are becoming one of those blue bloods. They actually, you can make the case they are because they've been around for five, six decades. And they helped start the NFL with, with Lamar Hunt. The Chiefs are now in that position where they can become the franchise of all franchises for the foreseeable future, where they start getting up there in Super Bowl titles. You know, the Niners, the Packers, the Steelers, the Cowboys. You don't want to make the same mistakes these guys do because then we start becoming the Cowboys where, you know, they're they're marketable as fuck. Yeah. But, man, it's been 24 years since they've won anything meaningful. That shit can happen, and you don't think it's coming. But if you're not taking the right steps, even if you have a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Ben Roethlisberger in place, doesn't guarantee success. Well, look at if you look at what is the one thing that sets the Chiefs apart from all those other organizations with all those amazing quarterbacks that you've already named. That even Tom Brady and granted Tom is one of these guys who, at the point that he was so successful, he was he was forthcoming and saying, "Hey, I will take a pay decrease." to win some ball games. Let's just keep winning because I'm going to get more money in the long run from winning now yeah. than I will from just getting a fat contract. Well, what's the one thing that set the Chiefs apart? The Chiefs knew that they struck gold. Yeah. They knew they struck gold. So what they do? The one thing that all of those other organizations didn't do, they tied Patrick Mahomes up the very first chance they could get. You're not going anywhere for 12 years, buddy. Yeah. We can restructure this contract all you'd like, but you are our future. Yeah. If Aaron Rodgers would have gotten a 12-year contract, let's say it wasn't even $500 million. Let's say it was $320 million when they first signed it. I think most, I think they wouldn't be having any issues, you know, as like they're having now because people would say the, the organization would have proven that it had trust behind Aaron. The funny thing about that, though, is that two seasons ago, they gave Aaron Rodgers a five-year extension. Yeah. And it's that this one. is what's funny about it. It's yeah. like 
You go and give him an extension the very next offseason. Because Aaron yeah. didn't have his best season in 2019. Right. He didn't. He didn't. Right. So they were like, oh, he's on the decline. So they're going to go and trade up for Jordan Love in the end of the first round. Not get a not get a receiver. Not right. get a running back. Right. No, not get a linebacker. The, yeah. These are the kinds of mistakes I'm saying, guys, that most people would assume, oh, the Packers would never do that. They have Aaron Rodgers. Like, why would you do that? Oh, well, they did. And now you have the chaos you do. And what I'm saying in all this is, one, the Chiefs need to make sure they take all the steps necessary to never be in this position because you don't want – this is the last place you want to be in. I'd rather – I would rather be a team that knows you're going to suck going into the season you can build with through the draft and, you know, really recalibrate this this right. franchise as opposed to be in stalemate mode. Like, the no, no, every prediction – like, go look at any website. Go look at the 2021 NFL predictions. Every single one will say this. You have all these definitive answers and, and predictions, right? And it gets to the Packers. Well, if Aaron's there, like you don't want to be in that place where you don't know what your team's going to be yeah. or what you, what direction you're going. And this is what the, the Packers caused this. It is not Aaron Rodgers. Just like I would, again, defend Patrick Mahomes because I'd have a hard time believing that Patrick Mahomes would create some scenario like this. Well, if we're being honest, who has more to lose? Who? I mean, we could talk about the leverage of the Packers having the actual leverage in reality as far as, you know, where he ends up, where they trade him because they have, you know, they're going to be the team that, trade him in, in the end but as far as actual leverage or who has more to lose Aaron Rodgers doesn't have anything to lose he's already a hall of fame quarterback and he could retire and come back and play for somebody else if he fucking wants to it really doesn't matter it's not, that money's not going to hurt Aaron Rodgers at this point I mean he, he, he'll he give up whatever 12 million this year however much it was that he would miss out on this year or even you know come back he can still come back like you said and collect by, I think it's by week 11 or week 12, you have to be back and report before you, and you get, lose all yeah, your money. And he's given the ultimatum, too, yeah. that they need to fire the GM if they want any chance of him returning. Which yeah. I don't think he, I don't even think he wants. I think he's I actually do, though. I actually do think that's what he wants because that's no. why he's standing where he's at and he's standing for You, you really think he wants to return, though? I think he's. Look, I think I, he's washed his hands. I think I think he's made peace with the Packers, but yeah, I think if they saying. were to say if they were to announce today it's they fired Brian Kunikuns the next week, that next week, following week, he's in training camp. I guarantee you, because that's what he talked about culture. He addressed everybody. I love my coaches. I love my teammates. I love the fans. Never talked about the brass. I'm just saying, so it's like, everything anybody, he's not saying we got to pay attention to. Breakup, yeah. You know, like you can argue for a long time while you're dealing with a breakup, but the, the more time you spend apart, the more time you get used to being apart yeah. and you become comfortable with being apart. And I will say this a side note, just real quick, because everyone's talking about, well, are the Packers actually going to find Aaron Rodgers for not showing up to mini camps? He, he because, okay, here's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, there's no way they would, they would, no, there's no way they would sue him or the fine him. If I'm the Packers, I do. And here's why. Here's why. Do what you can out of it. Because everything right now is optic-based, right? So whatever decisions you make or don't make, everyone's looking at and saying that's what this team's going to be. And the the team's looking up to you in every decision you make with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they want to be able to look like they punished him. Yeah, well, well, here's the biggest thing is that you now have 50 to 70, 80 80 dudes, right, that are looking at every move you make. Now, they all know because everyone's smart. At least everyone should know this enough. That when you're a special player like Aaron Rodgers, you get special treatment. That's just how it goes, right? So, so you can say, oh, he's not, he's not coming to training camp at least until the very end of it. No one's gonna give a fuck if they yeah. know he's coming back, right? Way. Yeah. But when it comes to the Packers and where they have stood firm, you have to keep that energy. Yes. Because if you don't, if you don't find him, even if you don't, this want team's to. not taking you seriously. No. The your players respect is everything, and you know this, Blake. You played football in college. Respect is everything from the top down. And if they show that Aaron Rodgers is just deliberately not showing up at all, you have to find him. It's not that I agree with how things are going. We've all broken that down in the last 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. The fact is the Packers have to maintain their own integrity in this. 
If you don't maintain that integrity, we don't know what the fuck you're standing for. Then you're the joke even more so. Because right now, I stand firmly with Aaron Rodgers. But if you're not going to make a stand consistently, Aaron won. No matter what happens after that, Aaron 100% won this. He proved his point that you are not going to stand firm on what you don't believe what you stand. You have no conviction because you're not even finding him the way you're supposed to. I think we won when they decided to take the field goal, but yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, I agree 100% with you. I think at this point the organization is too far deep into this whole fucking debacle that they're going to go, if we don't, then we have caved and now Aaron wins. But even though we might want Aaron, even though we might want Aaron to win, we can't because it shows one, it shows us that we're weak. Two, it shows us that we screwed up in the first place. Even though we then it, we've gotten too far into it that now we're gonna look like even bigger dumbasses if we don't like it just it no way that it doesn't look good for the Packers. If they don't find him, and I'm assuming Aaron expects one hundred percent to be fine, and yeah. if he doesn't I think he. You're right. He's gonna go. He already, he already lost. He already lost half a million for not showing up to the What are you guys doing? Like you guys have no conviction. You're not standing for anything. I mean, Lance, you kind of you pretty much nailed it with what, everything you just said. It's, it's just, I, but I don't think Aaron does want to leave. Yeah. I don't think Aaron wants to leave Green Bay. Hmm. I do think Aaron wants either goose to goose or he's he is fed up with what's going on in the organization. He's like, guys, I have asked you over and over and over again. Told you exactly what I need. And you have met none of my fucking needs. Right. What are you doing? Like, what are we doing here? I don't believe he wants to go to Denver. What is there for him in Denver? Not a championship team. Uh, second or third place in the AFC West. Yeah. <laughs> All you're going to have to do is put yourself in harm's way of not winning as many games as you would. And you're it, conceding a wild card at best. It, just, like, it makes no sense. So like, when I heard this whole, like, oh, he's coming to Denver. Months ago when we heard this, I was like, no, he's fucking not. We, we, had, we had Zach Stevens on from uh, DNVR Sports and DNVR Broncos, and he said it himself. He goes, I think it's a far shot at best. I mean, yeah. the only moron out there in Denver that's even trying to hint at it is Benjamin Albright. We all know what – anyway. Uh, so we're just going to move on from that one. Going there anyway. yeah, right. and I, I do think it's similar to the Deshaun Watson yeah. uh, debacle in the sense of – the organization didn't give a damn what Deshaun Watson needed as a quarterback. Hush, hush lately too, man. Oh, it's funny how that – anyway, we can Super go down that hush. another time. But it is funny how that says – I already got 20, 20 of the cases thrown out though. Anyway, doesn't matter. Sticking with the Aaron Rodgers thing. I think it's funny because they didn't give Deshaun Watson what they needed as well, what he needed. Yeah. And he was saying – They traded away DeAndre they, Hopkins. They robbed him yeah. of things that he needed. He's like, uh, I had the best receiver in the league. Now I have nothing. What are you guys doing? So I think it's similar. Got Bader Johnson. <laughs> oh hey yeah, you gotta you gotta. You, it's basically like one year old. Up, it's like getting a. Oh, it's like getting a workhorse, but that workhorse is two broken legs. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> th this is where I mean, I, like I said, I intentionally brought this up because I had a feeling this is how it was gonna go when it came to where fans' loyalty ultimately resided. And again, I, it's it's a dividing line, man. It really is, and it shows you the value of an individual player and it and and what what the importance of having a solidified one you know fluid motion type of brass and franchise and, and infrastructure working with that player. Like I've said numerous times, and we're gonna take a break in just a second. You know, you look at Russell Wilson's situation and how, and I know he's coming out and saying he never asked for trade bullshit. We all know he was out there trying to get traded because he was sick of the situation. And I'm with you guys. I believe that that Aaron Rodgers and uh, uh, Russell Wilson don't want to leave Seattle and Green Bay because they have legacies there. They know they're the best players that ever play or ever put those uniforms on. But they're sick of the culture they have to continue put up with and carry the team at the same time. That's too much of a burden to bear, man, especially as these guys are getting older. You look at the way that those guys have had to struggle just to get a team respectable enough to help them get into the playoffs, let alone get to a Super Bowl. 
Patrick Mahomes has a plethora, has a riches and glory just surrounding him because the Chiefs are giving him any and everything he wants. And that's what you have to maintain. You have to maintain that energy. As much as the Packers have to maintain the energy they now have created with Aaron Rodgers, the Chiefs have to maintain this energy with Patrick Mahomes. If you want this to become the next dynasty in the NFL, you can't just say, okay, Patrick, go work your magic. Well, we're going to expect greatness from you. No, go and give him a new offensive line. Go and make sure you keep Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill in place. Make sure you draft guys that you know on the defensive side are going to make an impact to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field or keep Patrick Mahomes on the field with all the three and outs. Like These are the ways you continue to build a winner, not expecting greatness each and every week to carry through your quarterback and hope that he can make an above, uh, an average quarter, or an average roster at best, an above-average yeah, roster. The, the, goal, the goal of a franchise is to put the pressure on the players to perform, not right. the other way around. You don't want the players looking at the front office and the, and the franchise, whoever runs, the GM, the owner, whatever. You don't want the players looking at them like, hey, we need help. You want it to be the other way around. Like, right. hey, we get, we put all these players in place. Pat, we gave you everything you need. Go perform. Right. The pressure should be on the players to perform. 100%. Cause the ones on well, the it's because the they shouldn't have to worry. They have one job. It's yeah. to go out there and perform the best on Sundays. Yeah. Yep. They, like you said, they have should have no reason to worry about, well, am I even going to get the help I need? Or are they going to be yeah, listening to me? Packers. They haven't been providing They them. haven't at all, 100%. So we're going to take a quick break because when we get back, we're going to get right back to Blake Sneeders. I need to get some thoughts on you with this whole thing in the UFC 263. Oh. This is what I've been waiting and gearing Woo! up to get some thoughts on you. And we got some other football topics I want to get to as well. Guys, the show just getting started, man. We cannot wait. We got to get to the Eddie Hour, the mailbag, get lots of L's. It's going to be a fun show. We'll get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge. it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios are my guys, Trevor Twidwell. That's good. And Blake Sneeders. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying it right. I'm saying it's usually, usually, I've gone my whole life with people saying Blake Schneiders because it looks almost yeah. identical. Yeah. Um, that ain't my fucking name, but you've done a great job. <laughs> I was thinking like Schneebly. Remember that? Was that a, was that a, it's it's a School of Rock? It's actually Schneebly. Schneebly. Yeah, yeah it's like School of Rock over Mr. here. Mr. S. I've had, I've had. Just start calling you Mr. S. Ever since I was a kid, I've had people call me Schneebly because of School of Rock. Yeah. I've had um, Skittles, Snickers. <laughs> I've had Skechers. Bro, this I've is had this the, is somebody we can finally relate to because our last name is Twidwell. We've always been called Treadmill, yes. Tidwell, Tidwell. Tidwell. I, Twitter. So, so it was funny when you were on the show with me for baseball tonight the other day yeah. for A10. My dad, try, I think, tried because they always listen. They tried to look you up. Uh-huh. And so they typed in Lance Tidwell. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know who Lance Tidwell is. He's a producer yes. for Cumulus Broadcast. Yes. yes. So my dad uh-huh. was like, Man, that's so cool that you met Lance <laughs> Tidwell. You had a famous guy on your show. No, I, I just was, had Lance Tidwell. I was, I was like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 
except it wasn't him. So like, okay, just a real quick story. The real quick story before we dive into this. I actually used to own a company called Casey Beard Co. We made beard beard products. And every time I'd go out, bro, we'd be at a bar or something. Like, yeah, I'm Lance. I own Casey Beard Co. I'd get free drinks. And like, why am I getting free drinks? Oh, you own Casey Beard Co. So people thought I bought. I made the fucking dunkle. I never denied it after that because I'm like, keep giving me free drinks. Let's live this up. You know what I mean? So that was always a thing. But you know, Trevor and I, we've constantly like I've literally sat here and spelled my name out. And people are like, okay, Tidwell, thank you so much. You're like, motherfucker, there's a there's W. A, there's a whole there's W there. A w there's a whole there. W there. Yeah. Anyway, so we got our guy Blake Sneeders in the in, in the place. Pay heed to the pay heed to the Sneed because we have a guy here that knows his shit when it comes to the UFC in particular. Um, he has an actual YouTube channel, guys, that I need you guys to get on because him and his partner, him and his partner, B Cut uh, podcast on YouTube. They talk a lot of UFC guys, and we know there is a growing. Uh, a trend and a growing fan base when it comes to the UFC. It, it used to be just kind of a, yeah. How, how would you say it? A, a niche um, sport, a, ni- a niche sport. Yeah, for sure. Um, you had your you had your uh, underground type of following. You had this. Uh, what do they call that? Not pop culture, but a. Uh, What's the word called when you have like a, a cult following? Like, yeah. There was a cult following of UFC. There's counterculture, and technically. Yes, and now it's really become something at the national landscape that people respect worldwide. And I was like, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity for to have you on the show, man, because I know that you're well-versed in all sports, but this is, this is your lane, man. It really is your lane. But before we really dive into UFC 263 with Andesanya versus uh, Vittori, I really want to get your you know your origin story. That's something I really okay. really love getting on our show whenever we have somebody on for the very first time. Tell us about you, your show, what how this all came about, like what what basically your whole story is, man. And in, in, in the shortest, simply form, because I'm sure there's so much. Yeah, you can get I was gonna to. say that's a that's a long, boring story. <laughs> Tell no, us no, no. you. Tell us you. So yeah, so uh, former college athlete, played sports my whole life. Used to wrestle in high school. Um, went to state, definitely didn't do any good. So don't make too much of that. <laughs> um, but basically I became a fan. I remember watching UFC when I was a young kid, cause my buddy, um, had some of the greatest hits like in, you know, UFC two, UFC three, UFC, you know, like just the early days of UFC. And one of my favorite fighters, when I first started watching it was Chuck the Iceman Liddell. I mean, who who couldn't right, like that guy? Right. The guy stares at you, and it's like a leopard seal about to eat something every time he stares at you. He had so a cool mohawk, too. He had an amazing mohawk, the Chinese down the back of the head, the Iceman shorts. So that was my first exposure to UFC. And then I actually kind of tucked it away for quite a long time, actually. Um, big into football. I was just football-focused, hyper-football-focused. Hyper and then after I graduated, uh, or actually when I was in college – uh weirdly enough people say video games aren't good for kids yeah well you guys are full of it because i bought ufc3 as a video game and i was like hey i haven't you know watched the ufc in quite a while you know i think i'm gonna i'm gonna play this game and the more i played the game the more i got to know everybody on the current roster kind of who was ever on the roster back in about 2016 and Knowing the moves, learning the learning the the lingo and everything just dove me into this world of UFC, mixed martial arts, MMA, like just the whole fighting aspect. Um, and I think that the more I got into it, the more I just had a huge reverence for the sport of like, dude, this is the ultimate test of skill and will. You're going to go into you, like your job, like, yeah. I'm playing playing college football. I went. You 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 look at guys in the NFL. You go. You guys wake up on Sunday. You practice. I kind of know your regimen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. But when I started to look at UFC or even mixed martial arts as a whole, I was like, their job is to wake up and 
fight somebody that day. Yeah. Like that is a, such a weird mindset to have. And so that's really what got me on this huge kick of, of falling in love with, with mixed martial arts. And so now we're here with the uh, UFC 263. And I know we talked about, and I want to, I want to have you on the show again before the McGregor Poirier fight, for sure. which yes. would be, I think that's number three, if I'm not mistaken, between yes, those two. Be the third, third phase um, and I have some takes on that one as well. We won't have to dive into that yet because I don't want to get the cart before the horse. Cause that's still what a month away. Um, in regards to this card, obviously we can talk about the main event, but seeing Damian Maya, man, you know, yeah. seeing, seeing him back, he's 28 and 10 right now, seeing him back, he's going against Bilal, uh, Muhammad. I want to get your thoughts on this matchup in particular. How do you see this one going? Cause I know Damian Maya is the recognizable face, but is he going to be the guy that wins this fight? Yeah. So this was actually, um, I'm actually a little surprised that Bilal got, especially after the Leon Edwards fight mm-hmm. where he ended up getting poked in the eye. Funny. They're both on the same card, him and Leon Edwards. Yeah. And Bilal is actually fighting Damian Maya right before uh, Edwards takes on Nate Diaz. So I think this is going to be an interesting fight. The, the thing is, Bilal Muhammad obviously has the advantage on the feet. He is way more powerful. He has a way better striking uh, striking repertoire. They, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember Damian Maya's fight versus Ben Askren. Oh, I do. They actually threw hands yeah, for yeah. the first like round or two. Um, Damian Maya is still, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous people on the ground. He just like that's a skill you won't get rid of. He's a he's a, a black jiu-jitsu. exactly. Yeah, he's a black belt Brazilian jiu jitsu artist. He is always deadly. Um, but I think right now Bilal Muhammad is riding such a high, especially that that unfortunate stoppage in the Edwards fight. Because I think if he would have beat Leon Edwards, he mm. he would have been the name that we're all talking about a lot more right now. Yeah. I actually believe Leon Edwards is a little overhyped, but I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, so. Right now, I believe I think Bilal is going to go out there and take care of take care of business. I think he's going to take Damian Maya on. It's going to be good to kind of see these two guys go at it. Um, kind of a somewhat passing of the torch. Not that Maya is still the great champ that he used to be, yeah. but um, I think it's going to be you know Damian Maya, the, the legend, versus a up and comer guy who is not just a brand new up and comer, but somebody who's actually got some skin in the game, has shown some very true and powerful skill. So in my opinion, I think Bilal is going to take this match, but I think it's going to be kind of a, a cool respect shown by both fighters throughout the whole thing. Okay. And then speaking of Leon Edwards, and I think that I would agree with you if Bilal would have won that fight. I think he'd be in the position that Leon currently is right now, which is in a fight that a lot of people are excited about because although Leon Edwards is a, you know, a guy that uh, people are starting to recognize a little bit more and more, we know who the real name in this fight is, and it's Nate Diaz. He's yeah. coming back. He hasn't fought. Baby. Yeah, he hasn't fought in the UFC since 2019, so it's been long overdue. Uh, we know how this goes when it comes to the Diaz brothers. I mean, Nick has not fought in the UFC for years, but Nate's really become that I would say not the face of the UFC, but one of the more recognizable figures. People love him because he's this, he's this rebel, this yeah. stoner that goes out there and fights. I, I mean, he's just got this this culture to him that people just love and respect because he's just who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's a damn good striker. He's a hell of a fighter. He always puts on a show. That's the thing that Diaz, why the Diaz brothers have such a following, is they put on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're authentic. Again, how do you see this one going down? Because I'd imagine that Nate's going to be pretty damn rusty, although he's going to put on a fight. Do you think he ultimately wins this one? So this is funny. I was actually thinking about this the whole drive up here because I was thinking about the kind of fighter that Nate Diaz is going up against a guy like Leon Edwards. Well, Leon Edwards is kind of one of these more – he's not a new kid on the block, but essentially in the in the retrospect, he is. Like he yeah. is uh, still a fighter that has yet to really prove – he's got a lot of hype. Yeah. The last two years. 21 fights. Yes. Yeah, so I mean lot. he's got a lot of hype and he hasn't fought really – 
I mean, besides the Bilal Muhammad fight, he took about two years off. Like, mm. we didn't fight anybody until he, he, he got a two-piece in the soda by freaking Jorge Masvidal <laughs> backstage. Right. Got the combo play. Exactly. So um, I, I was thinking about just what kind of fighter Nate Diaz is. And, and this is kind of the conclusion that I came to was he is kind of the last of a dying era of – Brawl, like just brawlers, guys who don't give a damn so much about, hey, let me make media posts. Let me go to media day and answer all the questions. Let me just kiss everybody's ass and do this whole UFC, like, you know, media jargon, social, social marketing. He's more like, man, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'll just beat somebody there. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does not care. He's like, you tell me when to be there. I'm going to be there. You ask me a question. I'm going to give you my straight up answer. One of the guys asked him a question from the from the media pit on the conference on the press conference day and they were like do you feel good about and one of my we can get into this i know we've talked about this before about how horrible some of these interviewers are they're just like yeah how do you feel about fighting somebody it's like <laughs> and so nate answered them just like you should <laughs> it's gonna be good that's it mic drop it's just it's gonna be good that's you, it. what are you smoking nate cbd exactly but hey CBD. he was smoking his own 4209 joint. baby he was like this ain't even cbd this is legit 4209 it's his weed brand he was up on stage he said this this conference is bullshit this is for the birds let me just light up and have a good time i got marvin Vittori and israel Asanya just eating each other's heads off over here i'm laughing and, uh, yeah. so um i just think that the style that nate brings is something that we should all Regardless of how this fight goes, we should all kind of look at what Nate is as a fighter and just kind of almost pay homage or respect to the fact that he might not be fighting for that much longer. I don't know how much this might he be has the last to, one. Who, yeah, who knows? Depending on how it ends. Yeah. Um, and so I honestly think that regardless, he will go down as one of my favorite fighters of yes. all time just because of the attitude, the fandom that he creates. The I don't give a damn attitude, yeah. and he's from Stockton, California, and you damn well better know it yeah. because he doesn't do nothing but stop. He does he reps that nonstop. So you ask my prediction. Um, I think Nate is a lot deadlier on the ground. Uh, I I think it's funny because Leon Edwards can wrestle. But when you're wrestling a guy with jujitsu, it's almost like a positive and a negative. You're just canceling each other out because one guy is really good in one position and the other guy is good at the counter position. So it's not now how good of a wrestler you are. It's how good are you at wrestling somebody who's really good at jujitsu? Yeah. It's, it's not, oh, I'm just really good at wrestling. Well, that doesn't matter because the guy you have is built to counter everything you do. Um, I do believe Nate – will be rusty just because of the fact you haven't fought in two years. But if there's anything that I know about the Diaz brothers, it don't matter how long you've been out. If you can throw, you can throw. Yeah. yeah. So in my opinion, I actually believe Nate goes the distance with Leon Edwards. I believe Nate comes out on top. Okay. Um, wow. I don't see a knockout. I don't see a finish. I don't see Leon Edwards knocking out or finishing Nate, Nate Diaz. That's a tough task. It's a tough task. Yeah. Not many people have done that before. No. Um, I mean, look, you remember his epic battles against Connor. They were, I mean, they were absolutely, oh, I still man. believe, I went back and rewatched that fight the other day. I still, in my heart, believe Nate probably won that Edge second one. But they had to have rounds. McGregor win that second They had fight. to have, they, they to. couldn't tarnish what they were yeah. building up with McGregor. And yeah. I totally understand that, even though that's not how fights should go. It's the tricks of the trade, whatever. I believe that if there's anybody who's going to go out there and put their life on the line, it's going to be Nate Diaz. I believe he finishes Leon. I believe Leon's slightly overhyped. He did look good in the tiny little smart sample size we saw against Bilal Muhammad. Mm -hmm. But um, I just don't know if it's enough to, to – I think it's a great matchup. Yeah. I think the fight – whoever put this fight together, whether it was Dana or somebody below him, came together and they were like, hey, this needs to be done. Yeah. Whether it was both teams' managers – 
this is a great fight because one, Nate is considered a gatekeeper. In my opinion, at this point, he's being used he's as heads. A, yeah, he's, he's old heads he's now. Being used as a yeah. uh, Damian Maya, but I yeah. think he's got a lot more spunk and fight than Damian Maya does. So if Leon wins, it automatically puts him back in the conversation of, okay, Leon picked up where he left off. He's still beating good guys now. Yeah, especially knocks him out. Exactly. Especially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but if Nate wins, I, like Nate's not going to compete for a championship for the rest of his life. That's just how that works. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if Nate wins, he's still the gatekeeper. He is the guy that says, if you ain't beating me, you ain't getting any higher. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what Masvidal proved, and that's how Masvidal earned that fight against Kamar Usman. Mm. He went in there and I mean, he four-piece Nate. Now, I think it was a bad stoppage because Nate, if, if you know anything about the history of Nate, that eye opens up all, first the, time. Punch, all the time. Everything. Yeah. So that was a bad stoppage, in my opinion. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't getting pieced the fuck up. Oh, yeah. He, like, never, he, wears, getting, he never wears the fight well. He was getting worked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He was getting worked. So um, this fight, I am, this is probably my my look forward to fight no of the doubt. night because yeah. you know Nate ain't giving up. I don't think Leon's going to give up because he's hungry as hell, especially after that Bilal fight. So this is my fight that I would – like if I'm picking fights the of the fight night, of the night, yeah. this is it. This is the fight. Of the say, night. If you want to make money, Nate Diaz is is plus four hundred. Oh, so that's the, some money well, right exactly. there. Take some action I'm, on that. I'm gonna put some money would, on it too. And that's I like and maybe that's more well. what I mean is is money bet because yeah, and the main reason I like Nate is because he doesn't have anything to fight for. He's just going to have fun. Exactly. He's going yeah. to fight for fun. Some pride. There's pride there. Uh, always two pride, years. Always you know? pride. But yeah. I mean, he doesn't have anything to prove anymore. Not, you you could say it's not a belt for him to win. There's not he's like enshrined. Yeah, he yeah. already knows what his legacy. He's enshrined with the Gracies. You know, he's one of those guys that's enshrined into this culture. Yeah, he's one of the guys that's built upon. So I think he's just gonna go out there and fight for fun. Throw haymakers, get on the ground, get dirty, rough him up, and I think he's got a really good chance of winning. At plus four hundred, I'm putting a little bit of money. Nate on Diaz, it. you could say he's like the Brett Beach of the UFC because he's really good at trading. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we got a couple more fights in this card that uh, you know I would say is by far the the more anticipated fights, even with yeah. Nate Diaz included. You have uh, Deverson uh, figure Rito, uh, is that Figueroa? Yeah, versus Brandon Marino. Now, I would imagine the Figueroa is going to be the the heavy favorite in this one, but I think this is a fight that we could see a legitimate upset. I think Moreno could win this fight. What it's, are your thoughts? Well, since I don't have the, the favorites in front of me. The odds are pretty close. Odds. I mean, Moreno is plus 180. Okay, and, so that's pretty close. Figueredo is negative 220, minus yeah, 220. So, so that's not – Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. Which is so funny that I called Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards the fight of the night. I think I was more going for money-wise. Like, sure. Because, because of how much they've undervalued Nate plus Diaz. Plus 400, I'm all over that. Because oh, yeah. the next three fights – I mean, if you're really looking at this, you're looking at Leon Edwards versus Nate. You're looking at Figueredo versus Moreno. And yeah. then you're looking at Israel versus Vittori. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the last Figueredo Moreno fight. It won fight of the year for 2020. Mm-hmm. Fucking Oh, yeah. It wasn't amazing. It, wasn't it a, a cable card, too? I don't Talk know if it was even a pay-per-view. Uh, no, it wasn't. Was it a pay-per-view? I believe it was a pay-per-view I remember fight. we watched it. We did watch that fight. I was... had to go to the bar. Before I yeah. found a certain website, I had to go to the bar <laughs> and uh, watch it at the bar. So, um but uh, uh, a, a link that actually, you know Blake what? will provide afterwards yeah. on the show. <laughs> actually, it's funny. You know, uh, uh, I, I believe when this fight went down. No, never mind. I'm sorry. Let me back up. Um, so this this fight won fight of the night, and it was it was crazy because Brandon Moreno and they call him the baby faced assassin. Yeah. Um, because that's exactly what he looks like. He looks like a young kid, and he is fairly young. You know, Figueroa's about I think uh, Moreno's 27. I believe Figueroa's 33. Um. Figueredo, in my opinion, the God of War has been just every fight that I've seen besides their last matchup. He has looked like the dominant beast in that in, in that division, uh, the the whole flyweight division. But 
Brandon Moreno put Mexico on his back yeah. and just brought the absolute guts and glory of what is fighting. Like they didn't go out there and look really pretty, but they went to absolute war. Yeah. And I like I think it's funny because I think Figueredo right now is almost trying to make a feud where I don't believe one actually exists. I don't believe he has bad blood for Brandon Moreno. He pushed him at the press conference weigh-ins or at the, at the weigh-ins. And then at the press conference, he was kind of talking shit. It's hard when you guys don't speak English and then your translator. So is the translator the one talking shit? Is the fighter the really the one talking to like, who's, you know what I mean? Like yeah, when, yeah. when the translator gets a little lenient with what he's about Talk to about say. Talk about loss in translation. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Um, I, I he said he's gonna beat your ass. Yeah. What he said? Tell him I said. You know, <laughs> I think there was a fuck in there. Yeah. Yeah. Did, I hear, did I hear? Did I hear a puto? Did I hear a puto? <laughs> I heard casserole. Yeah. I heard casserole. I said asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's one of those that uh, that Figueredo and his manager are leaning into the entertainment side of this. Totally okay. I totally understand it. I don't believe it for one bit. I think the push and the shove that he gave him at the way or the uh, at the face off absolutely garbage so <coughs> excuse me uh, i thought it was all forced but i i do believe this is going to be another um another spectacular fight yeah i do give a slight advantage to figueredo i think he was the one that underperformed last time i think brandon stepped out of his body and was just being guided by the fight gods and not that that nothing to take away from moreno but i just don't know if i, I think it was his time to put on the show and he mm-hmm. did um, this is also holds a lot of implication because it's not like they're trying to even up the series at one and one. The fight was a draw. So whoever wins this, this is the rubber match. Yeah. There is no one, two, three fights. We're not going to get a three, yeah. a three course meal with this. Right. This is like winner takes all right here because the last time it was so evenly matched, it was a draw. But we both know both fighters are great. So long story short, I'm going to go ahead and give the edge to Figueredo, but I would not be surprised if we see something exactly like we saw last time. And then we have obviously the last fight, uh, the big Kahuna. Yeah. yeah, man, this is gonna be a brawl. Um, you're talking about Israel Andesanya, the the champ, versus Var- Marvin Vittori. Yes. Now, I'm not one that's gonna sit here and say that Israel's gonna roll through Vittori because I'm not gonna disrespect Vittori like that because Vittori is a legitimate fighter. Oh, he's a although, scary, scary. Man. Although Vittori hasn't really fought a, a catalog of great fighters, you know, leading up to this moment, and this is now his. Cash cow is, is Ron Asanya, you know, is is one of the big time big time gets. You know, you're talking outside of you know fighting the Paul brothers, you want to fight a name like <laughs> Israel Adesanya because he's a legitimate fighter and he's gonna give you a respectable match each and every time. He'll take you seriously and he'll also kick your ass. The only time we've really seen Israel Adesanya not be superhuman is when he goes up a weight class and gets beat up. Yeah. But when he stays in his lane, there is nobody. And I mean nobody that is more dominant than he has been over the last, I would say, three or four years. Yeah. So, all respect to Marvin Vittori. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I think this is this is gonna probably be a knockout. I'm gonna Ooh. say I'm gonna say Israel knocks him out. And I don't know what round it's gonna be, but I think it may be a TKO. It could be one of those where, but you know, he gets like we talked about the combo plate. Israel's cooking up a batch right now, and he's serving it on a plate. I think Vittori's gonna get knocked out in this fight. What say you, Blake Schneider? So I, uh, this is a hard, like to me, this is a tough fight because 
Um, I think if you're, I think if you're a casual fan, you're kind of looking at this. I think almost a lot of people are viewing Marvin Vittori, Israel Adesanya, kind of like a Paulo Costa Adesanya. You got this big brute guy who's coming in to to take Adesanya, who's kind of the skinny guy, but he's absolutely Jackie Chan out there when it comes to being able to to do everything from Muay Thai. Yeah, yeah, dude, his 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 creativity in kickboxing and Muay Thai and Lethway are. I mean, he He's really does use every part of it. I mean, they, they call Lethway the sport of eight arms or eight limbs. I mean, he uses every single one, his fists, his elbows, his knees, his, his body. He's a small so, version of John Jones at this point. Like, he he truly is. Yeah. He truly is. And that's a, that's a comparison for yeah. a different time getting into oh, – <laughs> potentially if they ever get into it. But um, So I went back and rewatched the first fight. And one of the things I noticed – that Marvin Vittori did very well was he is very aggressive in awkward pressure. He knows how to cut the corners of the cage off. So you're, you're not just doing circles around the outside, running laps, acting like the Jeff Gordon out there, making another left turn. He's the kind of guy who's going to say, Hey, I'm cutting you off. You have to stand in front of me somehow. And he's pressuring. He pressured it Asanya and, and was switching, switching stances so often. Mm-hmm. I think it gave a, I think it just made Israel uncomfortable. He looked uncomfortable in there. Not that he didn't put on a good performance or anything, but he, there was a lot of times where I saw that he just didn't look like he was ready to strike or he didn't look like he had – because Israel is the kind of guy who strikes when the moment is opportune. Mm-hmm. He doesn't throw bad strikes. He takes what you give him. And Extremely Vittori, efficient. Vittori yeah. didn't give him a whole lot, so he felt awkward throwing some punches and kicks yeah. sometimes. Um, the other thing I think is Vittori is obviously, and, and if you listen to, to uh, you know, Adesanya, uh, he says that uh, Vittori is experiencing roid rage right now. But uh, Vittori is also the same one who said, I know that you're taking HGH. So, like, you never know. <laughs> These guys are just throwing things at each other. Everything's awesome. Exactly. And the difference between the, this fight in the Divison Figueredo and Moreno fight is there is real bad blood. Yes. Yeah. These two do. This is not a play. This ain't no acting. This ain't WWE. These two don't fucking like each other. I mean, Izzy always creates bad blood, though. He did that. That's what makes it he's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Hunchback of Notre Dame stuff when he was oh, hilarious. Oh, hilarious. He does that with the Goonies, the whole Goonies thing. That was oh, hilarious. He, told, he said he looked, he looked like a pig face. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Bro, and he gets under these guys' skin. Oh, yeah. I, I think the big, the big thing about this fight is the fact that both these guys do not like each other. Um, Izzy's going to be Izzy. Like, people are going to put too much into that yawn loss. Yawn yeah. had like 50 pounds on Yeah, he moved up when he was ready. Yeah, that's it not his normal it weight. It just wasn't yeah. fair. And took a chance. Yawn didn't even really wrestle him. He just kind of laid on him because he yeah. knew Izzy's oh, – I think one, it did expose Izzy's ground game is almost – non-existent now granted when well, you when have somebody heavier when yeah. you have somebody the arguments that would be yes exactly like that you said, weight is when somebody's 50 pounds heavier yeah. it's a lot harder to, you can't bench proud no you can't bench press 50 pounds that you've never been stressed before yeah. so but vittori does have uh, an age advantage he's four years younger but in the ufc when you're in your early 30s it doesn't actually, really matter yeah, yeah. It, it, if anything it might actually that's easy space. if we're being honest it might actually yeah it might actually benefit so israel fighting a young man's game but really yeah. if you look at most of the chance they're in their 30s i mean randy couture was the champ at 43 exactly. 40 Four years old, so kind of an outlier. I'm just saying, though, that happened. It's a thing. Um, I will say this, though. I think this is going to be a big factor why I'm actually going to pick Adesanya to win this fight by either a TKO or a straight up knockout. Six inch reach advantage. Yeah, Yeah. it's from 80 inches to 74. So yeah, so that and and Bones Jones capitalizes on that a lot. And what do we know? Bones Jones's biggest struggle was against Gustafson, who equaled him in reach. So, because of the significant advantage that Adesanya has over Vittori, 
it to me is going to be the ultimate factor. I, I love what, and appreciate what you brought up about Vittori's versatility and being able to use his whole body with a Muay Thai and things of that nature, which will play a factor at least early on. It, it, it's it's something, though, that I think that Israel Adesanya is going to utilize throughout the fight, kind of like what Canelo did with Billy Joe Saunders recently, yeah. where he really felt him out. He really saw, okay, here's the here's where I can get him. Here's where I can get him. So I understand that the, the reach advantage is going to play a factor for Israel. And and I'm not trying to, like, again, I'm not trying to disrespect what Vittori can bring to this fight. I just, I believe so much in what Israel does, and I've seen him go against such great opponents and to be able to dismantle them. I don't know if Vittori is going to be the guy that's going to be able to be the one that dismantles Israel. But I, I mean, I'm sure you have a counter. I do. I that's actually, it. it's, that's so what we're here, baby. That's what we're here. I'm always on the reach train. And I think it's funny that you compared, um, his is Izzy's reach to John Jones. One of the things that I think that really sets the reach advantage apart for those two is one, if your arms are, you know, if you got an 84 inch reach compared to somebody who's fighting with a 77, I mean, you're going to be able to stay in a close, a, a nice distance from them and tag them square in the face. The problem is there's a difference between John Jones and having that reach and being a Asanya and having that reach. That Vittori, I think, complements or plays into very well is the fact that people are – they're afraid of John Jones in the sense of, yes, he can tag me from, from, from depth. But if I get in on John Jones, he can tag me close in, and he's big as shit. Yeah. I mean, John Jones walks around at probably 240. Or, he's I'm sorry, massive two, right 220, now. 220, 240. Yeah. And, and if I get in on him – John Jones also Division One. Well, he was actually a champ out at uh, I, I believe Iowa Central, um, junior college wrestling champion. His wrestling game. The one thing that nobody like remembers about John is he is an absolutely ungodlike wrestler. Let alone his ability to spin out and elbow you like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, so he's, he's got out. a yeah. lot of cool techniques that he uses. Plus, he's very deadly in the clinch yeah. and on the ground. Oh yeah. Inasanya is not deadly in the clinch, and he is not deadly on the ground. So if you can bust past that that depth that Adesanya has, if I'm Vittori, I'm thinking there is no danger once I get past this first force field that is length because I know I can hold you up. He had him against the cage in the last fight, and Izzy couldn't do a whole lot. Yeah. But he was, he, was, he was not getting taken down, but he wasn't doing a whole lot. He wasn't inflicting damage, that's for sure. So I think there's a difference between somebody who's dangerous on all, on all facets of the game and then somebody who has length but then can't if you get past that length, because Vittori, like I said, he's very aggressive. Mm. He's very aggressive with the way he comes at you. He cuts your corners. He closes the gap. He 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 just he's very almost awkward, but it's it's artistic the way he does it. I think that he's not afraid to get inside on Izzy, so he's he's gonna say, "Hey, I'll take a couple punches, one two, because I don't believe Izzy's power is good enough to sit me down with the first one. Mm. If I can get in on you early and disrupt your game, disrupt your mindset, and win round one and two. I think now it's all it's all fair level play because we get into round three. I know you're tired because I've been I've been wrestling you. I've been holding you down. I've been getting a hold of you. Now, I that doesn't mean that he can't piece him up. That Izzy can't piece him up. I just think it's very interesting because I think Vittori is going to take what what Blahowitz did in the uh, lightweight. I'm sorry, in the in the um, light heavyweight fight against mm -hmm. Iz, Iz, Izzy. And kind of model a little of his game off of that to say, hey, I'm going to take you down where I can. I'm not afraid to breach your length gate that we're going to create between ourselves. I'm going to get in on you. It's going to get dirty. If I can 
successfully take a couple of your barrages early in the first round or two, I'm going for the knockout. And I believe Vittori is going to go for the knockout. I don't think he wants to play around with his food. I think he's hungry because this is the thing that me and Josh talked about on B-Cut, my partner, Josh Beasy Byers. We run B-Cut together. The thing that we talked about yesterday was whose motivation right now is stronger? And does it matter? Does it not matter? I think it definitely plays a part. Right now, Izzy is fighting for his own personal legacy mm-hmm. at middleweight. Could he be the greatest middleweight of all time? He very well could be if he continues. But what is Vittori competing for? He's competing to be the first ever Italian champion. That's true. He's got an entire country yeah. who's riding on him to become the first ever. Izzy just has his pride and his legacy. Is that enough to overcome an entire the, – the the legacy and pride of an entire country fighting on the back of Vittori, who's a very skilled opponent, who you fought before? This is first Izzy's first matchup on somebody he's never fought before. I'm sorry. Let me back up. This is Izzy's first matchup against somebody he's already faced before. It's going to be a, a test for the first time for him and Vittori as well. I just wonder how much these outside factors actually play in the event of this next fight. And, and honestly – I'm gonna tell you, Lance. I don't fucking know, man. Yeah. You don't know your. You I don't know, don't know who I want. Matchup, I default. I would have to default to Izzy because he hasn't done anything yet in that division to prove me wrong. So if I'm a gambling man, the odds are pretty even right the now. The odds it's, are it's even. Fairly split. If I'm a gambling man, you don't lose any money on this fight if you really put it. If it's you not put like it a good on fight Vittori, to bet on. Really, it's not a great fight to bet on. Right. So if you put it on Vittori, you're gonna win a couple extra bucks. It's not really that. It's more of just. I, I really don't know who I'm yeah. going to pick. Default. If I had to default, I'd have to pick Zasanya. But there's something about Vittori and the uh, bad blood that see, I just don't know. See, I got a counter. I got a counter like for my guy Schneider's here. Hit now it, I'm going to counter the counter Woo. because I agree. Everything you just said, you you broke down perfectly about the the matchup style of this. And 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 then I got my my interest really peaked when you brought up the motivating factors because I love the whole, you know, you got a country on your back. And that's beautiful. And, and honestly, in the UFC and in boxing, that's a real thing. I think it, it, it really does. Part. I, what I will say to answer your question about what is riding on Izzy's back is what exactly you said. The fact that this man could go down as the GOAT in his weight class, and if he continues the trajectory, he could be putting himself in the GOAT category for a broad spectrum here of all UFC. He's 20-1, and one, and again, the only loss he has – is the loss that had really nothing to do with his weight class. Yeah. So we're talking about a guy. Outlier. Yeah, he tried He tried something. like No one blames no. Conor McGregor for losing to Nate Diaz because he went up a class. Going up is something you have to respect, and losing is not an embarrassing thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's you trying to step yeah. out. So it's something that fighters do all the time, and I never would hold that against them as far as the legacy is concerned. If, like Bones Jones, and we're gonna, I'm gonna have, I have a question on that mm-hmm. one in a second. For Bones Jones to try to go up and fight, and let's say he loses to uh, if that Ngannou fight ultimately happens, no one's going to sit here and say that tarnishes Bones' legacy because yeah. he goes up 30, 20, 30 pounds. So for Arasanya, the, the, the answer to your question is he is fighting ghosts. He is fighting a Mount Rushmore. He's fighting against yeah. those things. So no offense to Vittori here. But Anasani is fighting something greater than Vittori. So he looks yeah. at him as a stepping stone towards greatness and being an all-time great, which I think he already is. But to take down a man with the motivation of an entire country, to me, is equivalent to holding said country. Does that make sense? No, I I, I think you nailed it. I think Vittori's greatest weakness – or I'm sorry, Vittori's greatest strength with the country behind him or the greatest, biggest motivating factor could also be Izzy's. The 
like the fact that he's fighting somebody that has a whole country against yeah. him. And now he's not just fighting Vittori. He's fighting ghosts of the past of the greats. He's fighting an entire country to prove I am better yeah. than your best man. Exactly. That's that to me is, is, is such a profound. This. Yeah. This is why these are so interesting. We like, need to be these, promoters these here, man. <laughs> I was talking to Josh about that. I was like, bro, we can fucking fight. <laughs> Yeah, just kick Joe Rogan out. You'll save a ton of money because yeah. we ain't got to get his kind of paycheck. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit, I'll, I'll take a quarter. I'll be yeah. cooked out like fifty mils. Remember, remember, uh, was it Goldberg? What's his name? Uh, the 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 co the cohort to uh, Joe oh, Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was all coked out. I'll be oh, the coked yeah. out guy. He's I'll in the back that. room, just railing Gator Tail, just like, <laughs> oh my god, we're out here doing <laughs> the thing, guys. Oh, this is the tail of the tape. Now, here's my final question when it comes to UFC stuff because man, this is the I think this is the first time we've had an entire segment of UFC. Really. We usually get these questions in the mailbag, but now we actually have somebody that covers UFC. Hey, I'm, I'm here it's an opportunity. Need, baby. I told you I don't want to get the cart in front of the horse, and I don't. I still don't want to talk about the McGregor Poirier stuff because I want to save that for the next yeah, time we have you that's on. That's down the line. But I do want to talk about the potential of a Bones Jones and Ngannou fight, man. Now we heard Bones talk about it. he wants this fight. He's We've preparing seen it, for it. Ngannou yes. wants, to wants it. Media. He's preparing this for to it. me, I've said this when we first heard about this. This would be the biggest fight in UFC history because you're talking about Bones Jones oh, yes. getting the opportunity to go up to heavyweight and beat the guy right now that just beat the living shit out of Stipe. Two gladiators, man. This Titans. is it would be the most anticipated fight of all time outside of maybe McGregor versus Josie Aldo, if you really want to throw that one in there. Leget Liddell versus uh Tito Ortiz. Tito versus Liddell, you know, like sure. fights like Rashad Evans versus uh Iceman, like stuff like yeah. that. Like those were heavily anticipated fights. This might be the one that takes the cake. First of all, do you see it happening? And I and I think your answer is gonna be yes, but let's just let's get the question the answer to that question, first of all. And second of all, who the fuck wins this one, man? Because I, I know you have the breakdown, so go ahead and give it to us. Dude, okay, one, this fight has to happen. But yes. I think something interesting could happen with this fight because I know especially coming off the back of this whole Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul thing, the whole Jake Paul debacle with he's now going to fight Tyron Woodley after beating Ben Askren, mm. which is totally fucking staged. Anybody who doesn't think that is smoking. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I just – I think that this is the fight that could – break Dana's bank. Um, I think this is the fight where fighters come out, and John Jones has said this. He says, I'll fight. That's not the problem. I want to be rightfully compensated for the biggest, yep. potentially the biggest UFC fight of all time. I think this could be the fight that pushes Dana's hand to actually get into. And we and this, this is a conversation for another time, just kind of talking about the debacle of pay structure in the UFC is it right? Is it wrong? Is it fair? Do you sign up and get what you sign up for? Like, there's so many different avenues we could take this down. But I think this could be the fight. It definitely will happen. I think it could be the fight that breaks Dana's bank and say, hey, you know what? I'll finally dole out the money. The reward is so fight. much better than the risk. The man. reward is so – I mean, Dana Imagine has – how many pay-per-view buys it be. Yeah. Fans and fans are demanding. Now, when you say break the bank, though, what are we talking about as far as a purse? Ah, uh, dude, because – If you if you were to speculate right now. Regular purses for UFC fights typically range about – I mean, like for big name U.S. like you said, the the, the McG any McGregor fight, McGregor's yeah. netting a million dollars, easy. Yeah, easy. Yeah. But that's not typical for most fighters. Okay. Well, because not all of them are marketable like McGregor. Not all of yeah. them are marketable like that, and and he's the old, he's the biggest pay per view sell of all. Because even Chael Sonnen got some big paydays because of his Chael mouthpiece. Because yeah. he was a mouthpiece. Well, he's one of the Chuck greatest. Chuck Liddell. He's Chuck one of the greatest. Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Bones has see this. Not to not to interrupt you because I want to get your take on this, but this is. I will defend Dana in one thing. I 100% believe 
He needs to quit being a cheap ass and start paying these fighters so you can start getting better quality yeah. fights, yes. better quality fighters, all those other things. I will say this in regards to Bones, and I'm the biggest Bones Jones fan, but we've had this discussion, mm -hmm. Trevor, and Trevor and I have had this discussion before on and off air. The one thing that Dana has a point on is the fact that Bones has not, not done himself any favors off no, the off the off the off the guy. And Kevin that's the problem. Yeah. Yes, he's a he's a prick. He's a sociopath in a lot of ways. God, uh, he has had a lot of drug problems. He's yes. had uh, police problems. There, there are things, and people are like, well, McGregor gets these paydays, and he's had off-field problems. But the problem is that McGregor relentlessly and consistently promotes himself, whereas Bones doesn't. Does not. Bones spends the majority of his time on his platforms bitching about stuff. Yes. And again, he has every right to because he's right about a lot of the stuff. Promote the shit out of yourself like McGregor does. If you follow McGregor on social media, dude's always pimping something out. He's always talking about something about himself, whether it's super, you know, uh, uh, self promoting and it's shameless. Proper Twelve. How much did he just sell? Exactly, Twelve? man. It's not even. It's How a did he get off the, of Jameson? How did he, he get the fight? That liquor company for what? Like. A oh, dude. Value, man. How did he get the, Magri the the Mayweather fight? It wasn't just because he's a, a great fighter. Talk about it. It's because he talks that shit, and that's what people want. Yeah. And so Bones, again, to wrap it all around, Dana has a point. It's like, look, man, I yeah. can give you $10 million for a fight if you promoted something that was yeah. justifiable to that purse. That's why I'm asking you the question in regards to this purse because I do believe this would be the most anticipated fight of all time. Could be I the do. greatest fight of all time. But what is Bones bringing marketability-wise? Because he's not been at his apex for years Which now, is, even though we know he's still great. He hasn't been Bones of the early 2010s because he hasn't been around enough. He's had, what, two fights in the last four years? Three years? Like, that's not enough. you got to give us more. The worst part about Johns is he's his own worst enemy. He, he yeah. himself is his own worst enemy because he is, one, very smart. The guy is fucking smart, even though he does a lot of dumb fucking things. Yes. Very smart. Yes. So he is his own worst enemy, but he is also, if he tried, if, like you said, to your point, if he put an inkling of anything into marketing, he'd be killer. That's what I'm saying, The guy man. is smart. He can talk. He's a mouthpiece. He knows he's the shit. He's great on he's social a, media. If you follow him on Instagram, yeah, he's fun to, he's he's awesome. fun to follow. Yeah. So it's, it's very weird that he just doesn't really buy into it, and that kind of goes back to the same thing we talked about with Nate Diaz. He doesn't yeah. really buy into the whole... He, his persona markets himself. He yeah. doesn't need to do a lot of the marketing because his persona does. John's a little different because he could use a lot more of that because I don't think people think John is gangster like right. Nate. Right. Nate's OG. And he's authentic. Gang. Nate's authentic. Exactly. Bone, Bones, there's Bones a lot of times kind of kind of, he's kind of flaky in yeah, some areas, man. Weird, you know? He's just, a, he's just yeah. kind of a – even though he's very good, even yeah. though he could be very marketable, he's just kind of weird. Like how many people do you know that can relate to Bones Jones? Like – not a lot of people, you know what well, I mean? It's like, so funny. It's like, yo, uh, I am one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time. Also, both my brothers played in the NFL. One <laughs> right. was one of the best DNs in the yeah. league. Oh, great genes. <laughs> yeah. Like what? So I think that if I was if I was Bones, I would also get in, I would reach out to Ngannou and would be like, we have to press Dana so hard to give us this money. I'm still gonna fight the shit out of you and I'm gonna whoop your ass. Yeah. But if you because he and Gone is in a spot right now where he can demand a bunch of money. Oh yeah, if he left. Because like, Bones is coming to him. Think about this. Think about this. Ever had right think now. about this. If, if, let, let's just say hypothetically that Ngannou fights the rest of his contract, and then he said, "You know what, Dana? I'm yeah. out." Yeah, he Leverage. would Leverage. destroy the heavyweight division. He would destroy it because oh, yeah. he is going to be possibly one of the greatest fighters of all time as well. I Maybe mean, the one best of the scariest. One of the scariest, easily. Yeah. So. Um, one, this fight gets done, hundred percent. Two, yeah. could break Dana's bank if if they decide to market themselves and work with Dana. Mm. Um, I think Dana's done a lot of good. There's a lot ah. of things that Dana hasn't handled well. 
we can talk about that another time. Um, as far as who wins this fight, fuck if I know. <laughs> uh, the problem is, is, is Nganu might be the scariest guy to have stepped in the octagon since. If we're talking just like the Shane Carwin, <laughs> honestly, I would I would say Shane Carwin, or even just the the aura of Brock Lesnar. Now, yeah, Brock, Brock had sure. some. We've never talked about Brock. We've had a, yeah, he's beating champs. We, we even though he had a, a few shortcomings in performances, he was one of the scariest motherfuckers to ever yeah. enter that octagon. You look at him and you, you got to fight that guy. You're like, this guy's like 6'3", 280 yeah. pounds. That's bro. what I'm saying. Man. Of just muscle. Yes. Looks like you just like picked up a cow and ate it and then <laughs> came to the ring. Like, so Nganu is just like that. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard Nganu's story. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, it yes. is insane. He was a skinny kid a few years Very, back, man. He's yeah. a skinny kid. He, he tried to escape Cameroon like three he's separate times. Like, he is a freak. His life and where he is at now, yeah. he deserves everything that's coming to him and then some. And he deserves Talk about motivation. Man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Talk about wanting to do something. Fight to survive. Um, honestly, I don't know if John has ever fought somebody – like Nganu, and Nganu has never fought anybody like John Jones. Yeah. The problem I have is a little bit of the weight. Nganu doesn't walk around like super heavy, but he does. He has a body about 240, 245, 250 maybe. Yeah. Um, Jones can get that, uh, especially if he's going off the diet of his fat brothers. But uh, <laughs> but he. So I think when you look at the fight, the styles are like like I said, John is very good at wrestling, and he's got the, the length. But so does Nganu. So the length almost, is almost, almost negated. Same. And who's got more of a packed punch? Nganu. Nganu, man. So that's, that's the thing I'm worried about with this John. one, man. So I think John doesn't try to get – if John's fucking smart, he yeah. doesn't try to get into a striking competition with Nganu. But the he, disadvantage that John has is he can't win this fight by decision. He can't. He can't win this fight by decision Wait, because – What do you mean? Because I, look, the way I see it is like this. When you are – like, like bones like, the challenge his legacy or – No, no. I'm talking about the, the fight in particular. Like, like, I think if this one goes to decision, they're going to lean more on Nganu's way because he's the – because Bones is the challenger in this. He's going up to yeah. Nganu. So I think there's going to be a little bit more of a – For sure. I don't think the rules alternate like that. Though. I don't know. I'm saying – okay, most most of the time, most of the time when we see these types of fights, like a, fly, a catch weight type of fight. They're going to give the champ They the, have the, the that advantage. same argument with the Izzy Blonde. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Because it was it was like um when, when Anthony Smith – no. Yeah, when Anthony Smith came up and fought John Jones mm. – John might have lost. Or no, wait. Am I thinking of the – Damn. It was the fight in 2019. Is that the one you're talking about? It was the one where John fought – John fought like shit that fight. And, and, he, and he did fight like shit. Boring as hell. But they gave John the yeah. win because he was the belt yes. holder. Yes. So if Nganu fighting not to lose if, that fight. If was coming down to, to light heavyweight and they had a very even fight, they'd yeah. give it to Bones. It's not on the, the winner. It's not on the belt holder to win. It's on – sorry. It's on the challenger to outright win. It's not on that's the my belt point, holder. Yes. The belt holder just doesn't have to lose. Right, that's my point. That, and I get what you're right. saying on that. So I, I will agree with you on that. Yes. So <laughs> that that's where I'm at with this fight is, is Bones going to be able to counteract the knockout power that Nganu has? Because I think Nganu is going to catch Bones. Is Bones going to be able to withstand it? Because so. we saw Stipe. Stipe so. is <laughs> taking the greatest of great punches. Yes. And you saw him drop like a bag of potatoes oh, when Nganu caught that. So that's my point. Is like it, it, with the with the rust factor on Bones's disadvantage side. I don't think it, he's rusty. I do not. I don't think, oh, I don't think he's rusty. We're talking. No, you don't follow. I'm telling okay, you. Okay, Nate Diaz is fine. He's training. Every I get it. I get it. The training is, so, is different than fighting. And so Nate Diaz has had 34 we're career fights. About, we're talking about an outlier. Nate Diaz said 34 though. career fights with the UFC. Correct. 
And we just talked about how Nate's going to be rusty. Okay, I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing Stipe and Nate Diaz to John Jones right now. I John did. Jones is in the prime of his career still. He's a, he's a, he's well, an outlier. We have to find that out. He's an outlier. The last after. time we saw Bones fight was two years ago, yeah. and he looked like shit. We just it, talked. It's about all it. about if you the believe matters, ring though. rust. I mean, yeah, he's also looked amazing after a five day coke bender and, and like pumping <laughs> seventy three Cialis. So like, but he was in the, I don't know. But he was in the swing of his career, is what I'm saying. Like Bones was fighting Context twice a matters, year. Though. He's gonna get yeah. up. This Bones fight. was fighting every six it's months. Also, if he you has believe that. ring rust is a thing, some people do. I think some we're people don't. The best bon- John Jones. We've seen. I don't I know if it affects John. I was about to say. I hope. What I'm saying is. I'm casting my vote on Bones' side just because he's the better fighter between the two. But I'm going to sit here and give enough respect to the man who oh, comfortably is it. at this yeah, weight, without, without who is that. the champ at this weight, <laughs> who just dropped Stipe, who's the greatest heavyweight yeah. of all time. I'm just I'm looking at it like that, guys. Like I'm going to have to give For respect sure. no, to God. And I totally fight. understand what, like your 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 argument because I think that most people would agree. I think that this is the one thing, and it comes back to John being his own worst enemy. Why did John? Not perform well against Anthony Smith. I think it's because he had no respect for he Anthony Smith. He was fighting Smith. just to get through that fight. He was fighting to get through. It. So he didn't boring, actually man. care about Anthony because he yeah. knew he was the better fighter. He, he knew he has a better great legacy than, than him. Yeah. This is a fight where John has to go. Holy shit! I'm in a. a this is a. This is could be a detriment to my undefeated record. Yeah. John does have an undefeated record. The only loss yeah. we all know is bullshit. Fuck we don't even need to talk. He about poked it. the dude in the eye or whatever. No, no, no. He, he, they said he landed an illegal twelve to six elbow, which shouldn't be That's illegal bullshit. in the first place. Yeah. It was all bullshit, and he was beating the guy so bad. Yeah. Um, it comes down to does John respect? And Ganu. And I think John has a ton of respect. How do you not? You, How do, can't, you, can't, you can't not respect like, him. Just, just talking about this yeah. is giving me goosebumps because I want to watch that fight so oh bad. God, man. Yeah. But I do also believe, I, I, I don't think I, at this point, I don't think I can truly pick a winner. I really don't. If I was going to be smart, I think. In the, well, then, then give me this one. Then give me this one. Yeah. When do you think this fight will happen? Because we know McGregor Poirier is in July. Yeah. So when do you see it happening? Because I don't think they want to compete with Tyson Fury and uh, Wilder. That's happening in September. Yeah. So is it going to be a late year I fight? I was going to say, if, if it's not late this year, it's early 2022. Then is Which sucks because then, I don't want to wait that well, long. Well, yeah, and, and what does Ngannou do? Because I would imagine he wants to fight again. I would so would he fight somebody would else in between? If they don't give Ngannou John Jones immediately, Ngannou has to fight Derek Lewis. Okay, there you go. have to fight. Okay. And I am a huge yes. Derek Lewis fan. His balls was hot, remember? His balls was hot. Balls was hot, man. <laughs> if you follow him on Instagram, the, the beast on Instagram, it's hilarious. He's but, great. Um, I think you have to give I think you have to give and go on to Derek Lewis because Derek Lewis has outright earned it since yeah. he's been in the and the guy doesn't even it's so funny that's one of the most humble fighters in the entire UFC he's like dude I just fight because I'm good at it I mean I just provide for my yeah. family yeah. I don't give a damn yeah yeah he's uh, yeah that's, and that's that would exactly be fun. the kind of guy that I would want to see fighting Gondu because he's the kind of guy that. I mean, it's just so bad because Ngannou is so dangerous. Any punch he throws could just end you, but so could Lewis. Like, that's a different fight that we can talk about. But because I think those two are make or break. You're either throwing haymakers or it's a boring fight. Lewis is sneaky quick, too. He's got sneaky quick hands for a heavy set guy. He's got those Velasquez kind of sneaky quick hands to him. And he's done the fake injury before, where he was like, he like got hit in the in the side, and he like mind down, games, and yeah. the guy came in and boom over the top. <laughs> he's great, so man. he's just funny to watch because he doesn't care. There's no rules with him. Yeah. Um, neither is there John Jones. So I, I think at the end, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could confidently pick a winner. If I had to, if you held a gun to my head right now, I would have to go and Ghana just from recent oh, okay. bias. Okay. But 
I, that is not a firm decision. I don't want anybody to put a whole bunch of weight behind that. Don't say, well, Blake said that. No, 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 no. <laughs> this, is, one, it, this is just in this moment, at this podcast, at the spoken. I'd have in to mid-June. go in Ghana. In <laughs> yeah. mid-June, I'd have to go in Ghana just from recency bias because I would like I, – I, I can't make a decision until I see the press conferences, until I see the training, what they're looking like, their weigh-ins. I won't even be able to make a decision until literally game time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is our guy Blake Schneider, man. We really, dude, that was that was a fun freaking segment. Yeah, yeah, I really, I we could just kept going shit. on this. No, yeah. We don't get to talk UFC very often on this often. show because yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's a sport that's still growing, and we, you know, we know that our, our the majority of our followers are going to be Chiefs consumers. Yeah, so that, but we, we yeah, but when you have a card like this coming up, we have two potentially great cards coming up afterwards. Yeah. We got to get our guy on here, man. Be uncut or be be it's cut. Be I'm sorry, cut, yeah, be, be cut, cut podcasts. On, uh, on YouTube, guys, follow my dude, man. Him and his guy, Josh Byers, they have a great show, man. I've talked to I've talked to Blake several times in the 810 studios, man. Oh, yeah. We always have a great time talking. This will not be the – I promise you this will not be the last time this summer you're on our show, man. Oh, yeah. And well, we'd love for you to be our regular UFC correspondent, I, man. I that'd would be, love that'd to be, be great. A quick little tidbit yeah. just about kind of about B-Cut. You know, it, here in Kansas City is a growing and booming UFC community – or, I'm sorry, uh, mixed martial arts yeah. community. Well – um, James Krause, uh, UFC roster man himself and coach, owns a gym over, you guys know, Glory MMA oh, yeah. here in Kansas City over in Lee Summit. Yep. Um, we have a lot of guys that we interview. We try to bring on fighters as much as we can. And one of our recent interviews was actually UFC roster man Jeff Molina. Um, just won $50,000 back, and I believe it was either January or February. Um, put on a performance of the night. We've all, we've interviewed Isaac Dolgarian. We've interviewed Derek Minner. We've interviewed Josh Frim over there at LFA or F. Yeah, LFA. Um, so I mean, we're trying to always bring in good content from fighter interviews, and not in just your regular bullshit. Hey, what are you excited for the fight? Cool. No, no, no. We're getting in deep. We're having fun, playing games, like just trying to get to know some of these local fighters because the local scene here in Kansas City is awesome. There's a great roster of guys over there at Glory MMA. Uh, and we're just going to keep trying to bring not only local content, but we also cover all the massive cards. We cover all the main cards and anything UFC related. So, um, yeah, no, I would I would absolutely love to, to come on more and talk more. I know you said you guys have a bunch of fans that know MMA oh, yeah. and talk MMA, but you guys don't get to really delve into it as much yeah. in the pod. That's what I'm. This is for. the door, man. This is the doorway for us to do that. You're, I would say, you're the gatekeeper. For our, <laughs> for our UFC content I here, man. I am the Nate Diaz of <laughs> podcasting here for UFC. Um, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter, man. So on Twitter, you can find me at Wake, capital N, Blake. It's Wake and Blake 29. Um, on Instagram, I believe I'm under the name Ginger Pants 29. Ooh, he's got all the cool uh, names on yeah, here, man. Lean so, in, lean all the in. cool names. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's Wake and Blake 29 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me. I'm always talking stuff on sports. I'm usually liking or reposting something from Lance over here at the, at the Spoken. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, on Instagram, you can find me at um, Ginger Pants. I believe it's Ginger Pants. No, it's Ginger Pants 4. On, I, dude, how about I you go and follow everybody, and then you'll yeah, eventually yeah. get our listeners. Actually, how about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, you guys just look for me, and then I'll find it. And then uh, our, our podcast on, on YouTube, you can find us on YouTube at B-Cut. It's just B, uh, B-C-U-T, B-Cut. So. Hell yeah, man. Oh, well, yeah, man. thank you so much, guys. That's our guy, Blake Snyder. Sneeder, I'm sorry. I, I messed up eventually. Okay. It was bound to happen. He's going to get me in the – I took this long. Yeah, he's going to get me in the full Nelson directly after this segment's over. It's actually over, but. pronounced Schneeble. Schneeble. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, we need to get to the Eddie hour because Eddie's been stalling on us, but we promise you the next thing you guys hear is Eddie's voice. Well, I'm going to introduce it, and then you're going to hear Eddie's voice. And we're going to get to his thoughts and what he has for Trevor and I to break down this week. Man, I cannot wait to get to that. We still got a mailbag. We got the L's to hand out. Man, we got a fun, fun, fun half of the show still left for you guys. We'll get back to all that after this. Midcoast Modern is a Kansas City focus on modern handmade and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Hey, yo. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? And now, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo joins us, Mr. Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. How we doing tonight, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Had a, had a fun night so far? Uh, yeah. It's an amazing <laughs> night, you know? So we got to get to the Eddie. And first of all, let me say real quick, uh, we appreciate our guy, Blake Sneeders, for being here, man. That was awesome, fun time. Oh, yeah. Definitely give him a follow, guys, and uh, follow his show on YouTube as well, Be Cut. On YouTube, it is a great time, man. I'm telling you, that dude knows his UFC for sure. What is in the Eddie Hour this week, my man? All right, let's go to the NBA right away, man. This question just came came, came to me. Uh, I, I was watching the – I'm sure you were watching the Nets-Bucks uh, game. And then this question came, came to me because uh, they were showing the clips of Steve Nash coaching on the sidelines, right? So my question to you guys is, is Steve Nash – a good basketball coach, or is he just uh, like uh, along for the ride? When I first heard that Steve Nash was taking this job in New J- in Brooklyn, I was of the belief that it was going to be one of those things where it's just a, a big time name, just kind of keeping that position intact for the next guy uh, because it's great for the optics, it's great for PR. Um, he has zero coaching experience, so I was a little I was a little slow and hesitant to giving that any real credence, especially when Kyrie was coming out and essentially saying we don't need a coach. Um, but I will say that I think Steve Nash has done something that few other coaches could really do with a team like this, and this is manage egos. You're talking about having three of the weirdest dudes in basketball on one team. Like James Harden, Katie, and Kyrie are legit weird dudes. No judgment, it's just a fact. They're just odd characters. And for Steve Nash to keep this team – Focus not only with that in play, but also the fact that all three of these guys have missed a, susta- a substantial amount of time this season, along with adding Blake Griffin late into the game this season and getting him motivated and rejuvenated to play his best basketball in the last three years. I think is something that's that needs to give. I think we need to give Steve Nash some credit here for doing that. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a, a top tier coach yet, but this but we're going to be fooling ourselves. We're going to sit here and say Steve Nash doesn't know this game and doesn't play a pivotal role and knowing how to break down a defense because he was one of the greatest point guards to ever live. He's helping this team more than he's hurting it. And so for that, I'm going to give him credit for that. Yeah, I mean, this is his first season, man. Like this is, and, and the, 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 like you said, the egos he's had to balance, the, the personalities he's had to balance. It's hard to really judge because I think the majority of us know and recognize that the the, the, the three-headed monster that is the Nets, those, those players tend to run the show, especially like with that much talent and that much clout amongst the league. And there's not really much he has to really do other than keep – than just be the adhesive 
you know, to keep the guys together, to keep everybody's heads on straight. And I think he's done a pretty good job. There hasn't really been much drama um, and amongst them. They've all meshed fairly well. I mean, they're they're playing good basketball. I know they just lost that game the other night, but like overall, they've they've been playing really really good all year when they're all on the floor together. And even when one of them does go out, I mean, we've seen James Harden go out, and they managed to play possibly even better without him. So yeah. that's you got to give those kudos to the head coach to adjust and to to figure out who gets the ball the majority of the time. Because James Harden is typically the the ball dominant one between all three of them because he's the better disperser of the ball. So I think for him to recognize where to go, who to put the ball, whose hands to put the ball into once James Harden's out of the lineup. I mean, granted that's a stacked roster, but at the same time, I do I do personally think Steve Nash is a beautiful mind with the back, the, the game of basketball, just the way he played, and you know just how well spoken he is too. Also, um, I love Steve Nash, and I thought he was a great sign. I, granted, he's not proven as a coach, but I think he's a great sign just from I, I like I like point guards like that especially. That's why I like the Jason Kidd signing for the Lakers. I like Jason Kidd being a head coach eventually too. I think what will happen is uh, uh, as well. Um, I like guys like that. So I think the 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 floor generals have the best IQ as far as basketball goes, and I, th- I think he's doing a hell of a job. And I'm pretty sure this 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 year he's going to get himself some, some jewelry. So, all right. Next question. We're still in the NBA. <clears throat> Should the Mavericks consider on moving moving on from or trading Porzingis? Yeah, I think they should. Um, because of the fact that it hasn't lived up to the hype in any in any regard when it came to pairing him up with Luca, because everybody thought they were this perfect you know tandem, and and, and on paper they are, they really are. Because I mean, you're you're pairing up uh, uh, Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic with a seven three sharpshooter. That's an ideal world to be living in. But the problem is that Porzingis last year in the playoffs was injured, and that's that's what cost him the series against the Clippers because he was actually playing really good basketball before he got hurt. And this year he's been healthy, but he's been terrible. He was terrible in the playoffs. He averaged like 12 points a game in that series. And if you're going to be second fiddle to Luka, you got to be able to score 19 to 25 points a night. And he wasn't even getting close to that. He didn't. He looked lost. He's defensively in an, uh, a liability. Uh, he was not moving well. Like He looked injured even though he wasn't. So... To be honest with you, I, I would hate to see the Mavericks continue to waste their time by trying to convince everybody that's seen this and play out the way it's gone that it's it's going to work out somehow. I don't think it's going to work. I think they need to try to get Luka an adequate number two because if they do that, they become a legitimate contender. Because right now, as they currently stand, they're a really good team. They're not a great team. Luka needs help, and Porzingis clearly has not been that. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of torn because I, I like Porzingis a lot. I like his game. When he's healthy, he's... He's a very unique player in the league. He has a, a certain skill set that's pretty unique. Um, he's a, and he's still pretty young. Yeah, and he, he he can move good for his size. He's not. He's a. He's a. I don't know. I think what I think is gonna happen is I think they're gonna keep him around. And I, I know he's kind of put a target on his back lately with the coming out with the comments talking about um, he feels more like a, a second fiddle rather than like a co-star. But because he's been he's been performing like a coast. Not he's been performing like you know a second thought player he hasn't been performing like a star player I and mean, we've seen man when he was in his early nick days porzingas was a star baller he was balling and i still think he has a lot of that in him um i and i like i like the tandem of those two guys i like those two guys together their skill sets in my mind and, and ideally basketball ideal wise they it makes a lot of sense it just i mean granted they faced a really good team in the clippers and the clippers overcame the odds and they they brought that series back and took it um, and it was a good game seven. It wasn't. That was a hard fought series in both teams. And for being honest, the Clippers should have won that series. They had the two more experienced guys. Got and, and in a lot of people's minds, the the best player on in that series with Kawhi Leonard. Even though I think Lucas the better player now. Um, I mean, yeah. So 
do they move on from him? I would not be surprised if they do. I just don't know who else is out there to become that guy to because a spread five, spread slash spread four four player is ideal for Luca because Luca's so good at not yeah. only scoring but getting other guys involved. And Porzingis makes the most sense, I think, as far as all the options. Paper. I don't, I don't, I don't know who else is out there to, to, to get rid of him and trade him somewhere. Good stuff. Oh well, I mean, Steph would Steph wouldn't do good in this team because because it, it's how ball dominant that Luca is. Lucas Luca's like it reminds me a lot of like James Harden, the perfect, and LeBron the James, perfect guy, the perfect guy for Luca would be like a Clay Thompson. That would be the sure. perfect guy. Well, he's but got, he's already but, got good shooters on this team. Yeah, right? maybe yeah. maybe maybe the, in the off season, just speculating here, they could create a trade with the Bucks to get Chris Middleton. You know, something like that. I don't know if that's right though because he needs a big. Because Porzingis, you're, you're talking about trading. Yeah, Porzingis a, doesn't play big. He can. He doesn't really, though. But he, yeah. he he's more of a guard style. He's, this guy's seven foot three. Though. Just stretch. Like, you're yeah. getting rid of that size. You need to you need to bring in some size for him, though, too. Um, but I mean, we saw Boban getting a lot of minutes too. So Boban looked really good in that series. He was averaging like nine points a game. He's all effort, man. I'm like, telling you, he's, you're he's, right. He's a cheat code too. That guy's so damn huge. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's best to keep him around. I think it's best to keep him around and add another piece on top of it. I think they're gonna bring back Hardaway on another deal because Hardaway. It, Plays really, really well with. Luka. He's so streaky, man. He's a good that, shooter. That whole though, team outside hot. of Luca is so streaky. For, for sure, but I, I, I do think they keep him there, and I think that's the best move at this point. Gotcha. All right, uh, Lance, you text, uh, text uh, something about the Lakers earlier today to me and Trev. I'm looking at your uh, thoughts on that. It's like, uh, what would Campbell Walker add to the Lakers? Uh, everything they need from the guards position because KCP hasn't lived up to the contract yet. He played really well in the bubble, but he he was not very good this season as a whole. Um, they need they need a guy who can facilitate. Stay healthy, man. They got to have a guy that can facilitate, and that is Kemba's strength, along with being able to create his own shot. The Lakers need a guy who can create their own shot. Dennis Schroeder was brought to LA to be that. <laughs> he had up. flashes of it because he's a good player. But when it came to playoff time, and we all know the Lakers are built to do what? Win championships. Schroeder completely caved. Kimba is not that kind of guy. Now, Trevor's right. He has had health injuries or health concerns, and he's going to be 30, I think, next season. So there are some negatives to it. Uh, But if I was the Lakers and I was looking at my options, realistically, Kimba might be the best overall option. Now, we'll see how the offseason shakes out. We're not even there yet. We're still in the midst of the playoffs. We'll see how the offseason goes. You know, opportunities can maybe that unexpectedly show up. And obviously we can talk about that as time goes on, but as it currently stands, just looking at the landscape of how the Lakers can improve their, their roster by just a single player, Kimba's at the top of the list. So if that ends up boating out, I think the Lakers got significantly better. Oh, I mean, Kimba, Kimba going to any team, that team's going to be better because Kimba, granted, Kimba's on a team where, you know, Jason Tatum is becoming emerging as a superstar in this league, yep. very ball dominant, you know, so that took away a lot from Kimba being in the spotlight. Kimba, people still sleep on Kimba's productivity and his ability to facilitate and be a good pure point guard in this league. And he's he's been nothing but that since he's been in this league. Um, I think he would be a good um, um, third wheel to this to, to be that to you know formulate that trio in LA. Um, but I don't know if he's going to be a guy that's really going to put him over the top. In my opinion, I don't know if he's that dynamic of a player anymore. But he, like I said, he would be a good contributor. A uh, very consistent guy, when healthy, and he's been banged up the last couple of years. So I don't know. Ho- hopefully, that's not becoming a trend. Um, but like you, but like you said, like we've alluded to already, like it, the, the league. There's a lot of movement that's going to be made probably in this league. We don't know who's going to be dealable, who's going to be on the trading block once this season ends. We don't know if Steph's going to be on the trading block. Clay's going to the Warriors going to blow all that up. We don't know. There's a lot of things that can happen. And now if the Warriors blew it up, that would shake up the entire league, depending on where those guys disperse and go to. So there's a lot of things that are going to be. Um, 
happening within the league. We don't know if the Timberwolves can blow up things. You know, D'Angelo Russell, Cat. If Carl Anthony Towns becomes available, that's a there's a lot of guys that can be moved around in this in this this next offseason. So um, yeah, I think Kimba would be a great addition to Lakers. Of course, I mean, I think like I said, he'd make any team better. Um, but I don't think it's a sexy enough signing to really like put them over the top. Granted, I think LeBron and AD went healthy alone is championship worthy. We've already that's which has already been proven. But they they are going to need some help. And they're going to need to rotate some bodies around. They're going to they're going to need some guards that can hit shots. I mean, that was just, that was the biggest. Achilles heel this season for the Lakers. Their defense was incredible, but they just could not formulate a yep. consistent offense. The shooters were not making their shots, and they had shooters. They just weren't making their shots. So yeah, I, it's definitely a possibility, and I wouldn't, I would not mind the signing at all. But I don't think it's that great of a signing, to be honest. Do you think? Do you think the Lakers would package like a deal with Kuzma to try and get any, that? Would some, I think Kuzma? I think Kuzma's gone to get. Yeah, I, I think he would be the the ultimate trade chip along with those first round picks that the Lakers do have. Uh, I don't think that they would have to give up multiple firsts to get Kemba at this stage of his career. I think if they were getting him out of Charlotte, oh, yeah, you're talking about a guy that was averaging 27 a game. So I don't know if Kemba's that guy anymore, but he could give you low 20s. If you add that to Anthony Davis and LeBron James, Kuzma would be a thing of the past. Those first-round picks wouldn't really even matter because at that point you're talking about probably the favorites to win the title with all three of those guys averaging over 20 a game and LeBron and AD being significant defenders that they can be. You're talking about the best out of the West. I think the ideal situation is for the Lakers to go find another a, a really good two guard. Not because LeBron's still going to be the facilitator. That's what I think they're going to do though with their mid level exception because they still have that. They like can Bradley Beal would be they, the they ultimate. Can, that would be a lot Hammer of moving Steph, pieces. Uh, you're, you're talking about six to eight million dollars that the Lakers would have in excess on the mid level exception. They can go and get that guy. They can go get a Joe Harris. You know, a guy like that, or an Austin Rivers, a guy that can you know spot up a three and D type of guy. You Seth know. Curry. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, no, yeah. Seth Curry. Oh, Seth Curry. I thought you yeah. said Steph Curry. I was like, Christ, Trevor, come on. No, no yeah. Seth, you know, you're right, though. Like a Seth Curry type mm-hmm. of guy that's a reliable shooter. Or Hardaway. Yeah, there's a, there's a, what I'm saying is there's going to be a lot of guys they can go out there and get with six to $8 million that would fit that role consistently. And it would give KCP even more of an opportunity to get more open looks, which he needs dramatically because, my God, the dude has such a trouble creating his own shot a lot of times. Yeah. He needs to be in the corner and just wait for the spot up. So, yes, <laughs> I think Kuzma's gone no matter what. And I think that they're going to go and get a mid-level exception type of guy, and he's going to be a reliable spot shooter. Yeah. I'm going to save this basketball question to the end. So we're going to jump into the NFL. I got just two more questions for you guys. Uh, just one NFL question. I want to get your thoughts or reactions uh, on Russell Wilson speaking to the media and stating that he never requested a trade out of Seattle saying that he he's never meant to like leave Seattle or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, Russell was full of shit in that press. Let's just be real. Um he won't it's say Russell it. Wilson. No one else will say it, but he 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 was lying. He, he that was a lie. We all know that Russell Wilson that, the stuff that came out from his agent, which it was his agent, so he can use that as an excuse as well it wasn't me. No. Okay. Your agent works for you. And your your agent isn't coming out there on his own volition saying the things he said about he would be open to be traded to Chicago and these other, Las Vegas and all these other places. Unless you were giving the okay. Now, you do have the benefit of the doubt because we have no proof that you've said anything. But we also know that this, is, this isn't this is the first offseason that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have had problems. And he's always been Mr. Go Hawks. Now, all of a sudden, this last offseason, that wasn't the case. So, you can build your theories as to what exactly happened. But one thing I do know is whatever Russell Wilson tried to articulate today in his press conference was not what happened? It was it was him because honestly, to his defense, what is he supposed to say at this point when he's on a press conference, getting ready to go into into mini camps and then on ultimately training camp and then the regular season? What good would it do if he said, "Yeah, 
It would do more harm. I was I was trying to get traded. I don't really want to be here anymore. Yeah, we'd all sit here and go, man, that was honest as fuck. That ruins their locker room. That that singular motion ruins their locker room. So yes, Russell Wilson, what he said today was was although well, although great. I mean, it makes it sound good and everything. The mission statements there. We all know what that was. That was that was player speak. That was captain speak to save face for his own legacy and for the team this coming coming season. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, like, why why didn't you come out and stop it? Why didn't you come out and stop and put the rumors to sleep when it was all happening? Where were you? You know, he was MIA. You know, there was no there was no real conversation of him coming out and say, "Oh no, this is all rumor." I just want you guys to let you know that I'm here for the long haul. Put it all to sleep. You know, the, the, he didn't come out and say any of that. He was completely MIA. Nothing. So he was letting it linger for a reason to kind of put his dip his toes in the water, see how it was how the water felt. So, yeah, I mean, that in my mind, it, he's he's definitely not being truthful here. But I think it's for the betterment of the the morale of the team in the locker room. Because if he came out and was like, "Oh yeah, I was trying to get the fuck out of here," like no, no, I mean, he already deals with respect issues in the locker room to begin with. So I mean, now if he came out and said that, it would just make matters worse. How? Okay, just adding this to that, but. Let's say Aaron, Aaron Rodgers came out, pretty much did the same thing. Mm. Like, how would That's, how would you feel that if like, he came if, out and did the same thing? Russ, Russell, Russell Wilson said, did. I never requested a trade. I never. This is the point that I was trying to make about the fact that when I said that Aaron, it's not about what Aaron Rodgers is saying; it's about what he's not saying. It's the fact that Aaron Rodgers has been very strategic this entire offseason, where he's having his buddies, former players on the uh, from the Packers, coming out and stating stuff like, "Oh, well, it's repairable." It's repairable. But you notice that there's never anything that Aaron's saying himself. And the only time we've heard Aaron speak on his own, he talked about the difference in culture and him making peace with the fact that things are just different, how he loved his coaches, his teammates, and his fan base, but he never mentioned anything about the brass. Again, it's something about what he's not saying that we need to listen to. So if Aaron Rodgers was to come out and do that same shit, it's even more of a laughable situation than it would be for Russell or than it is for Russell Wilson because we're all sitting here calling bullshit on Russ. We know that Aaron Rodgers has denied none of the things that have come out. The fact that, coincidentally, Adam Schefter comes out on draft day and announces the shit he announced when a year before that, they traded up for Jordan Love. That that hurt Aaron Rodgers, so he fired back, clapped back, and hurt them back. And it's caused them nothing but shitstorms this entire offseason. So... For Aaron to do that would be laughable in itself because of the fact that we know better. We absolutely, if we know better about Russ, then we know nothing more about Aaron because Aaron's story has been far more stretched out than the Russell Wilson one. Yeah, I mean, I I, I follow right with your saying. I mean, it's it's just a, the context is just entirely different. The scenario, the buildup, everything in the, in the in the Aaron Rodgers business is completely different in my mind. So, and this is the Packers are repeat offenders. You know, this is an entirely different scenario, and you know, so. Yeah, for my, for me, it's just it, it doesn't. I don't like to add up the two and compare them because they're just to, two totally different scenarios, man. All right, man. Last question. Going back to the NBA, uh, we saw uh, or we heard. Oh, I heard Stephen A. talk talk this morning about Donovan Mitchell mm. saying that he has officially, in his mind, I guess, has officially surpassed Carbalone and John Stockton, Stockton as Utah Jazz pretty much go like I want to get your thoughts on that like do you agree with him or why do you disagree I 100% disagree with Stephen A Stephen A look he's doing this for reaction he's doing it for what we're doing right now to talk about these things because he even even Stephen A has to be smart enough to know that's not 
even it's not even a good conversation to have yet because of the fact that although yes Donovan Mitchell has been balling out over the last two years especially he's been in a, a, I think he has a career average of twenty three points a game and five rebounds and five assists mm-hmm. that's Dwayne Wade type of numbers like that he's gonna this he's, he's a on lot his, like Dwayne yeah Wade. he's on his way to being a Hall of Fame player yeah. and he is on his way in my opinion to potentially being the best Jazz player of all time. Dude's not even twenty five yet, so let's 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 calm that. Like, I feel like I, I don't want to sound like Mister Oldhead here, but we got to give some respect to the guys that came before us because Carl Malone is the second all time scoring player in NBA history. He I think he's top fifteen in rebounds. He's got to be up there in blocks. The dude went to the finals two times. We'll have a couple rings that went for MJ I, Bulls. I mean, sure. Carl Malone had limitations to his game, but the dude was averaging over twenty points a game at forty years old in this league. Yep. John Stockton has yeah. the most assists and steals. I think he's the oldest player to get MVP, isn't it? Uh, Carl, probably. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like yeah I think 30, so. He was like 36 when he got MVP. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure either it's either him or MJ. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. John Stockton has the most uh, re- or assists and steals in NBA history. One player yeah. owns those two records. Two of the toughest records to have. John Stockton. And that dude was extremely durable. I think he had eight seasons in his career. He played all 82 yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. He never got hurt. Never was hurt. Very physical. Very good too. Good defender. Now, in today's game, he'd get, get ate up because he just wasn't an athlete. He wasn't as good of an athlete. But to do what he did for as long as he did, for Carl Malone to do the same thing, you want to talk about the, the two epitomes of longevity, it was those two guys. So Donovan Mitchell is more talented than both of them. I would say that. And he has, I think, more potential than both of them. I'm not going to sit here and call this guy the best player in jazz history when you look at those two behemoths. Of legend, you know, whether it comes to Stockton and Malone. I'm not doing that yet. That's just not fair to either one, either side, to either Donovan Mitchell. Let him create his legacy first, for Christ's sake. Let him be a mid-20s player first and give some respect to those legacies. Yeah, when I when I first heard that and I made that post on the, on the group today because I was like, I was really taken aback by that irresponsible take by Stephen A. Smith. I Immediately when I saw the, the quote and, I, and then I listened to it, I'm like, okay, so you're saying he's already the, he's surpassed him as the, as the best player in jazz history. So you're telling me when you step out of the jazz world, just overall NBA players, you're telling me you're putting Donovan Mitchell over Carl Malone in the all-time list then? Because <laughs> you have to. Right. Yeah. If he's the better player on the jazz, that's <clears throat> you're saying he's already the better player than Carl Malone on the jazz. So you're, that means he's leapfrogging him on the all-time list. How ridiculous does that sound? It's so ridiculous. Carl Malone is a top, probably top 10, top 15 player of all time. You know, one of the best scores we've ever seen, one of the best longevity careers we've ever seen. So in my mind, it's ridiculous. Without a question, I will say this, though. Without a question, I 100% believe Donovan Mitchell is a better basketball player than John Stockton. I get it. John Stockton's got those numbers. He's had longevity. He's Iron Man. If you put John Stockton in today's league, Donovan Mitchell's running laps, circles around John Stockton. Credit to John Stockton in the era he played in. He was a very big key cog to the success that was the NBA of the, the 80s and the early 90s. Congratulations, mid-90s, all that. Like it was a great team, great duo with John St- with him and Malone, one of the greatest duos ever. But Donovan Mitchell is definitely better at basketball, better athlete, and the best better overall player in my mind. Skill set, everything he brings to the table, way more impactful than John Stockton was in my mind. Carl Malone, that is an absolute ridiculous take. Absolutely, you got to let the kid develop a resume. He's barely had a resume built in the playoffs so far. He's he hasn't done much in the playoffs yet. He's obviously succeeding, and he's he's he's. Has a good chance of winning the championship this year, maybe coming out of the West. You know, they might be the best team to give the Nets a good run if they meet up in the finals. That'd be a fun matchup to watch. Um, he's great. I love the kid, but putting him over Carl Malone is absolutely yeah. insane. At 38 years old, 
Carl Malone was averaging 22, <laughs> 9, and 4, right? That's insane. At age bro. 39, he was averaging 21, 8, and 5. One of the greatest specimens we've 21, ever seen. 21, 8, and 5 at age 39, dude. That's LeBron's not even 37 yet. Yeah. Like, so yeah, no, no disrespect. This is no disrespect to Donovan because I right. love the fuck out of this guy. I think yeah. he's going to be the best player. No, no, it's not. No, ridiculous. Numbers wise, though, yeah, I think he's on he's on pace to be the best yes. jazz player ever for yes. sure. He's on pace. On but pace. I mean, let the kid have a career. Let him have five years in the league first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Is that it? Yeah. That's awesome. Good Great. Yeah, it's good to have Eddie back in the studio, man. We we missed you for the first segment. <laughs> Our first couple. I missed your right in presence, man. <laughs> oh, man. We're gonna take a quick break because we need to get to you guys. It is time for the Monday mailbag. We'll get back to that after this. KC Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. Ancient plant for a new age health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at KC Hemp Co. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. As promised, it is the time for the Monday mailbag we do each and every week as we open up an entire segment to you, the listening audience. Whatever it is you want to talk about in the world of sports that is going on this week in particular, you drop it into our mailbag, and we open that bad boy up, and we give you our reactions to whatever it is you gave us to decipher, to figure out, chew on a little bit. So, Eddie, what are we chewing on this week in the Monday mailbag? All right, man. We got actually two guys uh, asking questions in the mailbag, and but they, they each have multiple. Sounds good. All right. So, first, we're going to start with Donnie Couch. He has four questions. His first question is, uh, well, he's, uh, what is this? Hey guys, in discount Antonio Banderas. Jeez. I don't think he's Mexican, so it doesn't count. Yeah, he's not. He's not Mexican. Yeah, no. so that's <laughs> you know who is Mexican? Eddie Ortiz. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's from Spain, right? Yeah, he's a Spaniard. He's definitely not from Mexico. He has that accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That Mayweather accent. <laughs> Mayweather's not from Spain. Eddie. Mayweather accent. <laughs> yeah, because that, that. He's got the Barcelona accent. Yeah. Good yeah. Yeah, Bartha. Bartha. That's actually how you're supposed to say it. Bartha. That's, exactly, that's exactly how they say it. Bartha. Barcelona. Bartha. Barcelona. 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 There's a scene there. Tyson would fit right in, bro. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. A little thing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mike Tyson. All right, Barcelona. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. How was your guys' week? <sighs> I'm just glad to be here, man. Like it's been a long, trying, ener- uh, energy sucking week for it's sure. Been busiest man. shit yeah. for me, man. Yeah. So this question kind of touches up on my question with the Dallas Mavericks. It's like, if you were Dallas, what do you do with uh, Porzingis? Like I said, my my vote is you just get you you try to get whatever you can in a trade because uh, I don't think this relationship's going to work. But I I'm I I am strongly on Trevor's side. I think that they're going to stick it out with him just because of I believe that this team. I believe the franchise believes that Porzingis can turn it around. I don't at this point. I think that we have enough on him to know what he is, and he's not enough to help Luca get to a, a finals. So I, I would like to see them trade him. Yeah, he's he's banged up. I just don't know how much they would get for him right now because because of he's been kind of on a slump this past couple of seasons just because of his injuries. Um, I still believe in Porzingis. I think he's got a lot to offer still, and I think they could build upon him and Luca if they add another piece. I think that team's a piece away, another good scorer away from being a true contender. I really, really do. I think Luca's going to take another another step next year. The kid gets better every year. So, I mean, um, I think it, I think, and I think the Mavericks know that Luca's going to continue to get better. He's still a kid, 
So once he still fully becomes a man and gets better and better and his skill set develops more and more in this league, um, I think they can build on him and Porzingis and if they develop another another score for that team. So I think keeping him around is your best bet. This is going to sound crazy, but if I'm OKC, I'm knocking on Dallas' door. Or the Kings. Asking, I think the Kings would, would be a team to suit or two. Porzingis. Yeah. I'm like a Marvin serious. Bagley and a Buddy Heald for because Porzingis or something. That would help out the, the OKC market. OKC fans are diehard fans to that I just team. don't know how much it, clout Porzingis it, it, has right now, though. But you bring uh, – I wouldn't say a big name, but you bring some somewhat of a name to <sighs> to OKC to kind of like bring the attention to it a little bit. Yeah. It can kind of help rebrand a little bit of that and help that 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 whole OKC rebrand and can potentially help build something. I don't think stable. any I don't think any real teams are really going to take a big risk on him right now. That's, that's why I don't, I don't think, that's why I don't think it makes sense for the Mavs to trade him because I don't think they're going to get what they want for him. I just don't. I that's just, what I'm saying. OKC. If I'm OKC, I would maybe definitely picks. ask. They I would definitely picks. ask the key, uh, the Mavericks like. Hey, what what do you want for? That's Persingas? a that's a suitor for sure. Because I mean, OKC is not going to win anything for the next for a few while. years. Yeah. So yeah, they're building for like the next and eight, if Porsche five six years. To be that guy of a basketball team, like because uh, I guess you said that his days back- were awesome, yeah. man. But but like you said, he won't he, be a second fiddle in OKC. That's for that's, sure. That's what I'm saying. So maybe him being that guy in OKC would probably help him elevate his game. I don't know. He's not a true alpha though. He's not. A, he's not. A, yeah. So. All right, uh, Johnny Couch. Second question: What is the ceiling of Bobby Wood Jr. and he's is he a future MVP? Because I I do have a slight concern with this glove. Like, relax, homie. Uh, the glove thing is not much of a concern because he's so young, and that's something that being a baseball player myself, I know that you you really grow into your Guy defense, especially when you're when you're learning the game as you go. Baseball baseball is one of those rare sports where you're never ever going to become a complete player. Even Mike Trout and guys like that, there are so many flaws in their game that you don't see. Baseball is a very imperfect game. It Basketball, you can shoot 50%. Uh, football, you can complete 70% you of your Gordon. passes. Yeah, you can put complete 70, 70% of your passes in the NFL. Yeah. If you hit 300, which means 30% of the time you get a hit, you're considered a Hall of Fame player. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Bobby Witt's going to be just fine. Uh, as far as comparison of, of all-time great players, I don't know if I really want to do that. All I will tell you guys, and I'm standing consistent with it, you're going to see one of the most phenomenal players in the history of Royals baseball when Bobby Witt is up here. Maybe not as soon as he walks up. This kid's special. He's he's He is genuinely – I think the Royals have always missed on those kind of guys, you know, where they were just a couple picks before or just a few picks after and they passed up on the guy. They finally got their guy, guys. I'm telling yeah. you, he is he is everything Alex Gordon was supposed to be. I'm not trying to put too much hype on this kid. I'm just letting you know what I'm seeing and what I'm being told by people that know baseball much better than even I do. He is going to be something that is going to fr- change this franchise. Yeah, I mean, and, and to, to piggyback off the Alex Gordon statement there, like Alex Gordon still was a gold glover. You know what I mean? Like Alex Gordon still developed into to being that gold glove player. So with Bobby Witt, if you're worried about his glove, we see we all expect it to be better than Alex Gordon. So if Alex Gordon can develop into the consistent Golden Glove player and become a really good fielder, I think Bobby Wick can definitely you know adapt and and because baseball is all muscle memory, man. It's so big on muscle memory and, and getting your the mechanics down and the, you know the MLB each stage you take in baseball the the, the game gets faster, the game's more intense. So you got to there's gonna the kid's young, man. It's a little unfair to jump the gun and go that far if he's gonna be a Hall of Famer. Is he gonna be the you know, blah blah blah? Let the kid grow. Let the kid play and enjoy the process with him. I think he's going to be – the kid's going to be a household name in Kansas City here soon. Um, it's exciting. It's something really for us fans to look, look forward to. Um, he could become our guy, and I fully expect him to be. 
Um, so yeah, just like, just like I said, man, just learn to enjoy the process and don't nowadays, man, we, we this culture is so quick to like, we want to know who's going to, who's going to be what we want to know. We want to know, we want to know, is he for real? Is he for real? Especially with baseball, you got to let players grow and adapt because most guys, baseball is like a late peak type of game. And, and there's outliers, of course, guys that come in and there's amazing from day one, but that's not typical in baseball. A lot of times guys adapt and find their true identity in the M in the major leagues. So I think just like I said, just enjoy the process. Let the kid become into his own. And I fully expect to be a, a superstar in the making in Kansas City, Bobby Witt. All right. I thought the only catch had four questions. This was actually three questions. All right. His last question is, what can you what can you see the Chiefs doing at right guard now that Kyle Long is injured? I can't believe we haven't brought this up at all tonight yeah. so far, but we are going to UFC now. Uh, Kyle Long, yeah, sustaining that leg injury was no shock to me at all, guys, because this is the kind of guy that I was telling you to be on the lookout to be one of the first guys to get hurt. I hate saying that, but Kyle Long, before he got before he retired last year, uh, had his own history of injuries, and that was back when he was in his prime. So Kyle Long, to me, was always just a depth move. I know everyone was like, well, he's going to start because they don't get him out of retirement to not start. I agree with that. But I thought at the end of the day, in realistic for, in a realistic format, in a realistic scenario, Kyle Long was not going to be healthy. And before we even kick off the season, he's already hurt. And it's a severe injury, something that can keep him out even going into the season. So what I think is going to happen is, knowing the way the Chiefs go about their business, they're going to give LDT every opportunity to win that, that job. Yeah. Trey Smith is better than Laurent Duvernay-Tardif at this point of his career. Trey Smith is going to win this job. I'm telling you guys right now, watch out for Trey Smith. I think he's going to be the guy that wins that right guard job. And to be honest with you, I think it would be beautiful because of the fact that Will Shields, the greatest offensive lineman in the history of the Chiefs, maybe one of the arguably the great, maybe the greatest individual offensive lineman in NFL history, 231 straight consecutive, 232 consecutive starts. Was a 14-time Pro Bowler. This guy was an unbelievable player. Started out almost in a very similar way in 1993 when he got drafted. Dave Zott was starting ahead of him. Week one, Dave Zott got hurt, and Will Shields took that right guard stop, spot. And for the next, until 2007, for the next 14, 15 years, Will Shields started at right guard for the Chiefs every single game. So I think Trey Smith is, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be the next Will Shields, but I like the story parallels. Yeah. I like how this is kind of playing out where low expectations, you know, you didn't have this guy as a starter to begin with, and he goes in there and shines. I think Trey Smith could be that guy this year, so I'm going to give Trey Smith the nod. I Yeah, I really want Trey Smith to be the guy. That's who I'm rooting for because I like young, gritty guys that have a chip on their shoulder coming in and want to prove themselves. Like we've discussed this before when we first drafted him. We all love him. We all like the, the attitude he brings and – the the added fuel to the fire with him being taken as late as he was. So I love the idea of him becoming the guy, but I do also like the consistency and the known commodity that is LDT. And if LDT wins a job fair and square, I want LDT. Like I said from the yeah. beginning, I don't care what name is on the jersey in the O-line. I want the guy who's best and who's who's outshined everyone else in, in the competition of those positions, period. Whoever protects Pat the most and is the most consistent and efficient player on the O-line, that's who I want on the field most of the time. I don't care about the name on the jersey. Even though to the Trey Smith story, I'm 100% on board. I want that kid to become a star in the city. I really, really want that. LDT, everyone loves him. The fans love him. Who he is as a person. He's a solid player, but he's average. He's an average player, maybe. So like that, if Trey Smith can become a guy and shine in practice and, and outdo him, I want him on the field. That's all that really matters to me. But as far as the Kyle Long thing, how long is he supposed to be out? 
They're saying he, he'll miss all of training camp. And the optimistic side is he'd be ready for week one, which means he's not going to be fighting because it's, it's always They're going to be slow. It them. was already a, 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 a fight to get the starting gig as it was. Now that he's getting zero snaps in training camp and preseason, I, there's no way he's winning the job. So it's going to be somebody else starting the season out. So unless Kyle Long comes back strong as hell and the other guy sucks it up, he's not getting a starting job with this offense. That's line. unfortunate, man. Yeah. I, was, I was really hoping to see him get a second win in his career here, but yeah. All right, next question. Shaggy Shane. Uh, get ready for a good story. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So, Shaggy Shane. Uh, the Andy Reid era and KC draft picks at wide receiver. 2014, DeAnthony Thomas, fourth round. 2015, Chris Conley, third round. 2016, Demarcus Robinson, fourth round. And Tyreek Hill, fifth round. 2017, I don't know how to say his first name, but Shesson. Uh, fourth round, uh, 2019, Baby Cheetah, Nicole Hardman, second round, and then 2021, Cornell Powell, fifth round. Chris Conley balled, balled and got paid uh, big money to go to Jacksonville in 2019. Deontay Thomas cannot stay healthy. Uh, Shazon, who was solid his rookie season in 2017 on special teams and looked phenomenal in St. Joe, according to Shaggy Shane and Lance Twitwell on their 2018 report from St. Joe, yet uh, Shazon was one of the final cuts one month later, and we still are waiting for Miko to be consistent. And Demarcus Robinson has been on the Chiefs as, as long as his Tyreek. My question is, now that we have seen past Andy Reid Chiefs draft picks at the position, should we tame our excitement and expectations for rookie uh, wide receiver Carnell Powell going into the season, or should we continue to get, to get gay with him in our rambunctious insanity like we did with Chazon and Chris Conley. I think in regards to the player Chazon that he's talking about, I think he's talking about Jehu Chazon. Yeah, um, look, I think this is a great question, first of all. I will say this, though. The difference between uh, Cornell Powell and all those guys listed below outside of Tyreek Hill is that – well, even Tyreek Hill, if you really think about it, mm -hmm. none of them really had a prestigious college career and had the experience that Cornell Powell has. I've, I've said this numerous times on this show and several other shows that I've been on. The reason I love Bernard or Bernard uh, Cornell Powell so much in this is the fact that he's going to be twenty, I mean twenty four years old his rookie season, which means that he's going to be as experienced and as seasoned as any rookie wide receiver we've seen in recent memory. Possible day one start. Yes, and not only that. He went from playing in the big lights of Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, playing for national championships, playing in big games where millions of people are watching, and he he would produce. Now, he didn't have a great season last season, but I think that had a lot to do with the way things were going around the world, period. I think people were just thrown off by everything. I can't really put that on him. But the fact is he has all this experience going from Trevor Lawrence to Patrick Mahomes. I have I have higher expectations for him than any of these other, even Tyree Kill coming out. I didn't know if he was a running back, a kick returner, or a returner at all, or is he going to turn into an actual wide receiver? We know what Cornell Powell is. He's a, a chiseled freak that plays wide receiver. That's what we know we're getting, and this dude's experienced as hell. So as many concerns and adequate or legitimate concerns that Shane brought up with these other guys, could it happen to Powell? Yes, he could fall right into those cracks of being those same guys. But I'm not expecting it up front because of, of all the things that I've already listed that he has that I don't feel those guys had coming into the rookie year. I think that what makes this situation slightly different is the the the, the opportunity. I think is is big here for 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 Powell because I think I think he could walk in and be a day one starter if he goes in there and shines and outshines even Demarcus Robinson, you know, who's been claiming that spot already. 
He Demarcus Robinson is not is not promised that spot. If Cornell Powell comes in here and outshines him, and I and I like the talent, I like I like that he's 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 seasoned, and and him coming in this, and I've heard nothing but good things so far out of him, and from the little clips I've seen, he's a very very good route runner, strong hands, uh, strong in general, good solid frame. This is a man. This isn't a kid coming out of college. This is a grown man. Um, so I like I like the opportunity here along with the the possibility of him becoming something, you know, year one. Um, I, I, he's a true receiver. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a guy that I, I believe that can come in and, flir- and, and flourish in this offense right away. Um, but you always got to tamper your expectations, you know, in the draft and, you know, especially later on in the draft, you got to be kind of, you know, be careful with that. But at the same time, this isn't a normal offense. This isn't a normal team. This is a Super Bowl ready team. This is an offense that anybody could come in and 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 if they if we can work them into the and, you know make him into one of the gears that turns with the rest of the squad and you know he's he's working with us and he's he's developing quicker than normal. The sky's the limit for this kid for year one, man. And I, I'm very excited about it, but I am also trying to like kind of keep my cool about it. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll keep track of it also as you know as camp goes on and as things are you know as progressing and we start hearing the news because I, I guarantee he's going to be one of the names that are constantly being mentioned. Because I, I can just already imagine him becoming one of Pat's favorite guys, um, being one of those. He could become the darling of camp, and I, I kind of expect him to be, uh, because we we have a need at receiver. Um, so I'm excited about the kid, man. I do think we need it with those other names listed. You know, the Chris, the Chris Conleys and the Jay Chess and these guys that were so so players. Uh-huh. Um, Chris Conley obviously being better than Jehu, um, but. This time around, there's there's more opportunity for this kid there even than there even was for Conley and these other guys. So. Uh, it's gonna be fun, man, and I think this is it's definitely a kid's name is uh, one to, to monitor and listen to uh, and listen for. But yeah, I mean, definitely tamper your expectations and don't get ahead of yourself. Our last question comes from Shaggy Sheen. Um, I'm actually I'm anxiously awaiting Tyre Matthews' extension because I believe that it will happen at the beginning of training camp in St. Joe. But if the extension doesn't happen, I think I might be good with it because his drama-filled vague tweets are so lame. I'm over this dude. His tweets alone have me considering waving goodbye to him after 2021. Tim Grunhardt of 810WHB said the Chiefs won't extend him because Juan Thornhill is his successor. Question. If, in fact, the Chiefs do not extend Tyron Matthew in August, do you see it being a distraction not only in his pouty vague tweets or also in the play of him in the defense this season? I'm going to be as respectful as I possibly can with with Grunhardt's take because he's a he's a former chief and he's a chief Hall of Famer, um, but Tim could not have been more wrong um, with that take as far as Thornhill being the replacement of Tyron Tyron Matthew because they're not even close to the same type of player. First of all, uh, second of all, it, it's really unfair to to just assume that they brought Juan Thornhill to be here as an adequate replacement for Tyron Matthew when they drafted Juan Thornhill the same year they went and got. Tyron Matthew. That doesn't make any sense at all. So I uh, know no offense to to Tim. I've never met the man, never talked to the man. I know who he is, though. That that's just a really bad take. Um, second of all, um, Shane, I, I get it. I, I I'm I'm on Twitter. I know more than most people should be probably, and I get it. You know, Tyron. There's been some times I've, I've read some of his tweets. I'm like, what in the li- living hell is this? But my thing is like, if that's what you have to deal with in order to have the greatness that is Tyre- Tyron Matthew with his his le- leadership and his talent. I'm willing to live with that. Uh, it's a lot like having a Bill Parcells as your head coach. Dude was an absolute prick. He was an asshole to everybody, and he was extremely difficult to be around. 
Bill Barcells is one of the five greatest coaches to ever coach in the NFL. Would I want him as the Chiefs coach if uh, Andy Reid never existed or was never here? Yeah, because the results are there. And that's stuff that you have to kind of put up with a lot of times. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Dude's a prick too. Everybody knows it. People love him and everything like that. But, I mean, he's got his own issues as a, as a person, as an individual, just like all of us. But he's insanely good at what he does. So you put up with that shit. That's what Tyron Matthew is, guys. He is a Hall of Fame, an NFL Hall of Fame safety who was rated the number one slot corner in the NFL last year, and that's not even his natural position. And again, you can't ignore and overlook the fact that Tyron Matthew single-handedly changed the culture of this Chiefs defense that's been missing for over 20 years. So although Spagnola came in here and implemented an awesome defense, this defense isn't shit without the leadership, on-field leadership of a Tyron Matthew. So, again, the tweets are vague, they're annoying, and all that other stuff. But when he gets his extension, that's the last thing I'm going to be thinking about. What I'm going to be thinking about is Tyron Matthews is going to be in the ring of honor one day, and he's going to help this team win a couple more chips. That's what I'm thinking about. He can tweet all he wants. Who gives a shit what he says on Twitter? I want the guy on my team. He can say whatever he wants on Twitter as long as he continues to be a Hall of Fame honey badger that we know on this defense. That's all I care about. Is he good at football? Is he a Hall of Fame player? Was he one of the key cocks to why we have a ring? 100%. That's all I care about. I don't care. And you want to be honest? Let's be honest. We love him when he's saying all this shit that's positive towards the team. We love his attitude when he's when, they, when everything's working out and we all, we're all happy-go-lucky about everything that's going on on Twitter. We love the, when he talks shit to other teams and other people on Twitter talking that shit. We love that. But when it's him standing up for himself and wanting to get the money he deserves – now we want to have a problem. And now when he's complaining about things that don't sit well with us fans, now we want to complain about it. Listen, man, you got to take the good with the bad. He is who he is, and he's consistent. He's consistent with his shit talk, whether you like it or not, whether you like the context of the situation, what he's bitching about or not. Some of it may be a bad look, sure. You think he cares what you think? You think he cares what any of us think? No. He's going to go out there, and he's going to be one of the best, if not the best safety in football every season when he's out there. And that's the guy I want on my team. Juan Thornhill, the successor of him, Cut it out. Juan Thornhill, Juan Thornhill has spent almost as much time off the field than on the field. He has He's proven nothing in this league so far. Has he had a couple big moments and big shiny plays? Sure. He's got to be on the field more. He's got to be consistent. He's got a lot to learn from the guy that we're talking about. We, we don't want after this following season. I want Tyron as Matthew as much on this football team as long as possible until he's done. He's a he's one of the beat like you said he's he's a guy that changed the culture of this defense. We can talk about Chris Jones all we want. We can we can talk about you know the bringing Frank Clark the Shark over here all we want. The guy that changed this defense was Tyron Honey Badger Matthew. That's the guy. I will throw that guy's jersey on and watch Sunday Sunday football every Sunday and support the hell out of that guy because I, I love that he's on my team. I love that he brings that tenacity every week. And if we're being honest, man, like who, who would you replace him with right now? The whole Thornhill take is, is absolutely outrageous in my mind. I don't care what the dude says. I don't care what the dude says in his personal life, what his personal beliefs are on anything. As long as he's playing high caliber football that I know he's capable of and it's, he's wearing my team's jersey, literally all I care about. The discussion ends there for me. That's it. That's all that matters to me, man. That's it for for uh, Monday mailbag. Shout, awesome out, shout mailbag. out Shaggy Shane. Yeah, Shaggy's my dude. I, no, his. Uh, I love the question about the wide receiver, especially. I mean, that was yeah. that was a great because that's a good breakdown. There's a lot of concerns there, man. I I get it. 
because we don't know what at the end of the day we don't know what Powell's going to bring. Yeah. Um, and I really I really appreciate it. I appreciate everybody that always chimes in on the Monday Mailbag, man. It's to me that's one of the lifebloods of this of uh, this entire show is having you guys interact with. We always appreciate it. We have one more order of business, guys. What's it called? Hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> Le who? The her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man! Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, pulsating L. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You ignorant man. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this L. It is time to hold this L. What we do each and every week to end every single episode is we give out some friendly or not so friendly L's in the world of sports. But I promise you that whoever is holding the L for each one of us this week, that motherfucker deserves it. So Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo, 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 who is holding the L for you this week, my man? And why is it? Is it F1, Eddie? Is it F1? It is. Yeah! Shit. As he drops his yeah. shit. We just had, uh, this past weekend, we just had brace number six in the calendar, uh, Baku uh, uh, Street Circuit. Amazing race. Uh, great race. One of the best races the I've, uh, one of the best races I've probably watched of Formula One. It was intense. Uh, but reason I'm giving uh, Lewis Hamilton the L this, uh, this week oh, is, the is because of what, of what he did and he won't admit. Oh, so <clears throat> he, I was, I, I'm not gonna say he didn't didn't admit because he kind of did, but kind of like, just kind of like went away from it, and the team's kind of like ignoring the fact that their best driver made a mistake. Mm. Uh, so when the, when the uh, they red flagged the circuit because of the whole Max Verstappen, I could have gave the L two Pirelli, who is the tire manufacturer, but. Uh, Lewis Hamilton deserves it. Uh, so at the restart, after the red flag, they had to restart uh, uh, the race mm-hmm. uh, with three laps to go to finish the race. Uh, it was uh, Sergio Perez first and then Lewis Hamilton second. When the race restarted, Lewis Hamilton takes takes the lead for about uh, like a second or two. But... His uh his front tires lock up and he completely misses the the turn and drops from sec from first all the way down to last place pretty much Damn. in just that one corner and everybody was wondering what happened what happened what happened and now they're saying well he accidentally pushed uh, the magic brake button and 
I don't know 100%. I was going to say, what the what, hell is that? As to what the magic brake button does, but this has something to do with like heating brakes or something like that. And I guess it put all the brake, uh, all the brakes in the front instead of the pretty much balancing the car out, balancing the brakes. So his front tire is locked up and he just kept on rolling because he didn't have brakes. But Mercedes came out saying there's like, you know, uh, trying to avoid like the whole situation is like, yeah, it was a, uh, it was an accident that, that happened that he pushed the button while he was racing. Like, come on. I like, he had to know that he had that button on. He, he fucked up. Just take, take the hit. Don't try to take the L. Yeah. Don't try to like go around it and kind of like say, what was the accident? Stuff like that could have been an accident, but at the same time, you being a professional F1 driver, should know like all your buttons and stuff like that. Should know what each button does, and if you push a button, it probably tells you on the screen like that you push the button or something. Uh, so Lewis Hamilton just apologizes to the team. Whatever they try to make this into like as little as possible, and they they try to switch the focus into the to, to the tires, Pirelli tires, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The big mishap with that shit, but yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Who is uh, according to Lance the Great, the GOAT, the GOAT, yeah, uh, of F1? Uh, his mistake cost him so uh, a, a win, and a he lead. just wins so much he was trying to give them a break. <laughs> but yeah, like, and then Mercedes coming out saying like, "Hey, we try to make everything as easy as possible for the drivers." So I think they made an adjustment to that button and they moved it from where it was, so he, uh, Lewis Hamilton doesn't press that button again on accident. Mm. So it's kind of. Hmm. He presses a lot of buttons. It's not yeah. always the right one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for that reason, like the whole excuses and blah, blah, blah. Just say he fucked up. There's a, it was an error. He fucked up. Just just say that. Even the, according to Lance, the goats fuck up. Right. So let, uh, just move on from this <laughs> shit. Move on from this shit. You know what I mean? He made the mistake. He mm-hmm. fucking lost that race. Sergio Perez won. Who should get a W for that? He was a fucking. He was able to hold the uh, hold the uh, Hamilton down even with the uh, uh, hydraulics uh, issue. His car literally gave out after the checker flag, mm. so they were about to retire the car. So, Lewis Hamilton, you suck. You're a whiny <laughs> bitch, and for that reason, you're gonna have to <gasps> hold this L. L for the first time in your career. Hey, Trevor Twidwell, who is holding the L for you this week? So, if you guys, I know you guys all saw this, but if you guys caught the game last night between the Bucks and the Nets, um. Things got pretty tense. Uh, there were some tempers flaring, specifically between the likes of Kevin Durant and PJ Tucker. Uh, so much to the point where they started getting in each other's face. My money would be on PJ Tucker, but that's nonetheless. Um, they started jaw jabbing, getting in each other's face, and PJ Tucker and, and Kevin Durant were, you know, spewing words, you know, nose to nose. And as that was taking place. An unknown, an unknown body, big body, might I add, big fella came flying in, and supposedly there was word that he was shoved. I don't really believe that, but he came flying in and basically burrowed his way and threw his body into PJ Tucker. And the word is, well, it's it's confirmed now, but the the body that came flying in out of nowhere and dressed in all black looked to be security for the the Brooklyn Nets stadium uh, all happened to be Kevin Durant's personal <laughs> bodyguard. Kevin Durant's uh, personal bodyguard so came out to save 
his Aww. the body that he's guarding. PJ was being mean because there was bad words being said <laughs> on the basketball. By the way, court. Katie started that shit too. Yeah, because PJ goes, he did. "What? What?" He kept like trying to get what he was hear what he was saying. Yeah, man, because it was a bad call on, <laughs> on PJ Tucker. It was a bad call. PJ got frustrated, just like everyone does in the, on, in, in the NBA, and was saying something, and then. Katie PJ is one of the last dudes I'd mess I got, with. Like I, like I threw him there. My money's on PJ. That's none. Nevertheless, the situation was bizarre. Like I, I was, I was watching that live when that happened. That when I was at my job, I was watching the TV in the break room, and I saw this big ass dude dressed in all black and flying in and banging the PJ Tucker. And PJ Tucker was like, "What the fuck?" You see, PJ Tucker was like ready to go with that guy yep. too. Like he like banged into him hard, man. Like the story, the moral of the story for me here is KD. Like I understand guys have bodyguards. But I've never seen in my life a personal bodyguard come out and break up a just an argument on the basketball court. Like that's where <laughs> because I mean that has to be okay, listen, that has to be say think and say what you want about the situation as, as odd as it was. That has to be something communicated between KD and his bodyguard. His bodyguard didn't just take it upon himself to just go onto the court in the middle of the game and go separate an argument between KD and a player. That's some soft ass shit, dude. I'm sorry. Never have I ever seen anything like that in the NBA. I know LeBron's got bodyguards. I know Steph's got bodyguards. On these these big name stars all have bodyguards, but they remain on the sideline. They're not going to go break up a middle of the game argument between two players. But that's that's the level of insecurity not only his his bodyguard has, but KD has. He knows he's got guys that are to come separate and save him from an, in the middle of the game on the court argument. That's so. I mean, if that's not so, KD. I don't know what is. Yep. You know what I mean? Like maybe that was actually KD in disguise. Maybe that wasn't the real KD in the fly. Who knows, man? He's he's got burner bodyguards. I don't know, man. This guy, it's always something with KD in the scenario he's in. It's it's always something soft. The guy is such a blowhard, such a fake tough guy. It's 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 so it's always something, man. It's frustrating. But yeah, that whole situation situation was weird. Um, so I'm actually gonna give the out of the bodyguard just because I felt like, bro, like what are you doing? Like that is so like out of pocket. For a bodyguard to do, like even if even if you are the personal bodyguard for that player, or if you're a security guard for the stadium, or whatever, never has that ever been a thing. Right? You don't even see the NFL. We've seen full on brawls in the NFL. Security guards don't go out there. The refs break it up. The coaches get off the sideline and chew their guys' ass. Right? <laughs> you don't see body. You don't see bodyguards and security guards working for the stadium go out there onto the court and break that up. So for that, KD is going to be a duet. KD and his bodyguard both are going to do me a big favor. And hold this L. Strange scenario. That was so strange. So we know that we know that uh, there are people in the world of sports that have a ton of cachet, a ton of clout, and a lot of times when they say things that may not hit our ears particularly the right way, or they do something that doesn't isn't something we look at the right way, we always kind of give them the benefit of the doubt because of what they've accomplished or who they are, and we kind of overlook the flaw or the mistake. And then there's the people that think they have that kind of clout or that kind of that type of cachet and then act that same way or do this say the same things and that ends up being what we would call a joke hmm. because people that don't have clout and cachet can't be doing the same things to the people that do let me give you an example so the Denver Nuggets uh, have a head coach by the name of Michael Malone. And if anybody <laughs> remembers back in May, apologize for uh, ESPN's Cassidy Hubbard was talking to him and, and called him Mike Malone, head coach Mike Malone. He corrected her right in the middle of the fucking interview and said, it's Michael. It's Michael Malone. Okay. Dick move aside. That isn't even the part I'm trying to address because that was just 
Unbelievable. Yeah. Second of all, we saw the game two performance from the Nuggets against the Suns in this series that is still going. And they got their asses handed to them for a consecutive night or consecutive game. And I understand Michael Malone's probably frustrated as hell. And I get it. He probably has some things he wants to say. But a lot of times, the perfect thing to do as a coach, and I'm not speaking from experience, I'm speaking from coaches that I know and their experiences and how they got the most out of their team after a big loss like that and trying to get them to adjust and recalibrate and refocus is to be real with them but not go into the media and call them out and say that they're soft and they quit. Especially when you've proven as little in this league as Mike Malone has. Look, I understand this guy's a Popovich peer or a, a Popovich student of the game. I'm a big so, fan of Mike Malone. So, so, so I understand that there's this rigidness that they feel they need to add to their their uh, 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 you know attributes because they come from Popovich. Just like a lot of coaches that come from the Billichek tree think they need to be rigid and cold. But if it isn't in your nature and it isn't something that you've earned to this point yet in your career, I don't think that's something you should be doing, especially to the media. If you want to go in that locker room and cuss your players out, call them whatever names you want to, that's within the confines of your locker room. And no one's going to judge you because you're the head coach for a reason and you get a, you have that right. What I don't think that Michael Malone in particular has the right to do is to go out there and talk about his team as if he's led them to finals and championships in the past and he has the weight and cachet to do so because he doesn't. He's proven as much in this league as Jokic and the guys that are playing for him out there, which is nothing. If anything, Jokic has proven more than Mike Malone has to this point, winning the MVP. So although I don't have a problem with a guy coaching, know the fucking room, man. Calling your team out like that to the media is not the way to do it. I can't imagine a single guy in that locker room liked that or respected that. That's how you lose respect, man. So Mike Malone, do me a solid and hold, hold this L. L. I'm sure he probably did both. I'm sure he told his guys in the locker room as well. He's he's a no bullshit kind of guy. I like him, but yeah, you don't do that to the media because that sure. media the media's had a heyday with that, and yeah. then the players get asked it before the game. That's just not what yeah. you want to do. Wrong message. Whew, boys, this is a fun show. It really was. 120 man. episodes down, guys. We had our guy Blake Sneeder Sneeders rather yeah. uh, come on, and drop some knowledge on the UFC. Man, that had was a, fun. Had a, yeah, we're gonna definitely have him back before the McGregor Poirier fight. Uh, hopefully, if uh, Francis Ngannou and uh, Bones Jones eventually get that fight going, we're going to have them on there for as well. But we got the Eddie Hour this week, man. We had Monday Mailbag. We had some good talk on the Chiefs. I'm, I have a feeling there's going to be some big-time NFL news this week, and I think we're going to have a really, really packed show, man. We might have to get, like, Beakley or somebody to come on. But in the meantime, hey, it's us here, guys. No matter where we're at or who we're attached to, the Spoken Podcast is being consistent. No matter what's going on around us, and I'm going to leave it there for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for Clay Wendler, for the crew that we've always needed all along. Man, all we need is us. I am Lance Twidwell, and the Spoken Podcast episode 120 is done. And until 121 rears its beautiful head around, we out of this bitch. See you later. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned into the spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>